0: This is Dark Mark and you're listening to Horror Movie Podcast where we are dead serious about horror movies.
1: dead serious about horror movies we have a bi-weekly show that's released every other friday and this is episode 110 on horror movie podcast you hear in-depth horror movie reviews especially for new releases with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy rent or avoid these movies and i am your host jay of the dead podcasting from salt lake city and my co-hosts tonight are
2: Dr. Shock Becker from just outside Philadelphia,
3: PA. And Wolfman Josh. Jay, I was a teenage wear skunk.
1: (laughs) I've always known that about (laughs) you, Josh. (laughs) I'm so happy you guys are here. I'm really pumped for this episode because here, joining us very shortly, we're going to have a special guest to give us the Sundance Film Festival horror coverage. And then also later in this episode, for those who got to the theater this weekend, I'm going to be bringing you a a solo review of Rings. And in addition to Rings, after we do some TV coverage, we're going to bring you a beastly freak Bigfoot film and film called Mercy. And I am the pretty thing that lives in the house for Josh's screaming online. And we also have a listener campfire tale that we'll be bringing you later on tonight as well. Good stuff. So stick around for that. But before we get into all that other exciting stuff, guys, Josh, I understand there was a little bit of kickback from our previous episode, as usual. Is that right?
3: Yeah. Yeah, people <laughs> were really mad at you.
1: <laughs> what? Are I, you kidding me? Like, yeah, I can't...
4: Yeah,
3: except for this guy, K- Kagan, who, uh, <laughs> who came on in, in defense of Jay and and really uh, liked what you had to say.
1: I love Kagan, by the way. Just saying that, putting it Pretty out there. Pretty much I everyone think
2: else... De- I- yeah, Not happy I think with. he def- I think he defended you at one point, and then I think he said something he was unhappy with you at
1: one point. I can't remember what that one was. Here's the thing: everyone is in denial because I laid out point by point why those two movies have the same story. Come on, Crickets. okay, and then Crickets. you know,
3: <laughs> I think the thing uh, that we can be most happy about here is Michael Fitzgerald's tweet. Where, uh, you know, he sent this photo from his FYE store locally, and he says, uh, well, at least FYE believes you, Jay, and it's a shot of the horror section with no escape sitting prominently on the shelf with <laughs> spit on your grave and insidious.
1: Oh, <laughs> I love it. That's so thanks, nice. Michael. <laughs> Thank or, you.
3: Thanks for nothing.
1: A thing um, of beauty. I really appreciate <laughs> that. No, seriously, I, I don't know if we will ever ever stop fighting about genre classification it's just it's it's like a trait or a characteristic of a horror fan it's weird
3: well actually i think we can stop tonight i think we have uh the answer we've all been looking for and this came to us via (laughs) frederick ingram we're gonna have kagan on tonight who does the (laughs) classical version of our theme but this actually came from the originator of the hmp theme frederick ingram you sent this uh, classification of horror to us on Twitter. It's uh, from Merriam-Webster. It's a cute little kitty cat with its hair standing up on end there. <laughs> it says, horror comes from a Latin verb meaning, quote, to bristle. The idea, be- idea being that a horrified person's hair stands on end. So I think that's all, that's all you really need to know, to know if something's horror or not, is if uh, you bristle, if your hair stands on end. And as I put on Twitter here, um, you know we can just take our cues from this cute little kitten, and we'll know what's horror and, and what's not. And,
1: and and you know I know that's kind of a joke. And Freddie Ingram, he's a, a good buddy of mine, and he has a, a terrific sense of humor. So he's very clever like that. But guys, seriously, it's hilarious because you're you have an image of a little kitty cat. And even that can be horror because wasn't it in Jurassic World, right? Do you remember that quote in Jurassic World when he said "Um, B.D. Wong says a monster all depends on your perspective to a canary. A cat is a monster. So just saying <laughs> yep.
2: no escape
1: anyways. <laughs> but Josh, I wasn't the only one getting grief this last time, which was kind of nice for once. You also got a yeah. little bit of kickback as well, didn't you?
3: Well, people weren't necessarily going after me. They just think I'm an idiot because a lot of people <laughs> really hate The Bye-Bye Man. Uh, oh. they, we got so many jerkwads <laughs> saying that uh, The Bye-Bye the Man was a bad movie. And I, I just, I look, I get it. It's certainly not for everybody. But it just frustrates me when people are like, I give it a one, strong avoid. It's like, give me a break, a one, like... Have you not seen J- Jangel? Have you not seen? Like, I-, I mean, there's in the history, in the breadth in yes. and width and depth of cinema. There are so many awful movies. The Bye Bye Man, I could see people are like, yeah, it's a little underwhelming. <laughs> yeah, maybe it, was, right. it wasn't edited too great. But like, come on a one and a strong avoid so anyway i i got in a couple little tiffs and and kagan was mad at me and uh jonathan was mad at me but i think i think we got those ironed out but mostly mostly it was just a lot of people on twitter and particularly at horror dot in the comments just saying yeah this is this is not great oh, however okay however there were a lot of people who um were touched by my review in so much as they were like yeah, I didn't love it, but when Josh kind of gave his review, I realized it's actually not so bad. So I <laughs> I think what I'm responding to that's driving me nuts about this particular film is people just love piling on something. It's like this – it's the internet thing. It's just like we've decided it's bad, and now we're all going to make fun of its name, all <laughs> going to make fun of this movie. Most of the people out there haven't even seen it. Like, um, who was it? It was one sick puppy. It was like – Oh, I can't believe the review you gave of the Bye Bye Man. I haven't seen it and I'm not going to see it, but I can't believe the review you gave. It. It's like, what?
1: Come on, like- Scott. One <laughs> sick puppy that is uh, film criticism 101, sir. Come on.
3: I just I think people love being snarky. They love kicking you while you're down. And I feel bad for this movie because it's it's look, it, it's got its problems. <laughs> But it's it's such an inth- interesting mythology. I, I looked deeper into the mythology, thanks to a few of our listeners this week, who on Twitter and the, the website again gave us um, more in depth backstory to this film. And there's it's such a cool mythology. I think this film could have really uh, benefited from a sequel or from diving deeper into you know the story, the backstory, because there's a lot there, and it's kind of cool, and it's kind of based on a true story as well. Cake Wolf was probably my favorite uh, person who reviewed the film as a listener because he just talks about how awful it is, how schlocky it is, how terrible the dialogue is, and he gave it a five. But he says to buy it, he's seen it in the theater twice, and he said he'll probably see it in the theater again. (laughs) (laughs) And he, he sent us a photo of him walking into the Bye Bye Man for a second time (laughs) <laughs> um, it says uh, entertaining schlock horror movie that's unoriginal but fun the second viewing was in support of Wolfman Josh I'll probably buy it so uh, you thanks go. to Cake Wolf
2: <laughs> for your support there you go
1: Well, so Josh a couple things about that I, I have not seen The Bye Bye Man yet but I will be seeing it because of your review because of your feelings for it I will see it for sure now I just want to put and, that and, out there. And, That's and the I first still thing. i feel
3: a little bit bad about that. I will say, like, I was telling this to Projectile Varmin on the website. Like, the movie I was strongly recommending last week was Split. Like, if you don't go to the theater much, if this is your first time getting out in months to go to see a movie, I recommend seeing Split over The Bye Bye Man. But if you're like Projectile Varmin and she says she sees every movie in the theater she can to just to support horror...
1: Yeah. Then yeah.
3: Please see this
1: movie. Right. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, so that was the first thing. That the the other thing that you just said a few minutes ago, which I totally am on board with. I agree. Yeah. I mean, by comparison, this whole rating scale, like something like Jan Gell, <laughs> you gotta have room for a one. <laughs> you gotta you gotta have something <laughs> to, a, a you have to
2: Have a reference if you want to have a reference for a one. Jan Gell is is is. A one, you know, Manos Hands of Fate is a one.
1: Yeah. And those ones
2: are still there. I know. Still, I, I, I still love, I mean, I don't love Jango, I gotta be honest, <laughs> but I do love, you know, Manos Hands of Fate. And I, because part, partly because of Mr. Science Theater 3000, but also, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's so incredibly inept. That there are just you, you can't you, you just you have fun with it. It's like the Plan Nine from Outer Space, maybe of horror movies. I don't know. Yeah, I don't well, remember Plan 9 who outer it was. Space is a horror movie technically? Yeah.
3: I don't remember who it was, but it was somebody was saying like you know the actors in this movie are atrocious, and I'm like, you like Sleepaway Camp, like. I get it. Sleepaway Camp's a classic. It's fun,
2: but yeah, but the the acting is not is not the strong suiting. Mm-hmm. I mean, you cannot say that yeah.
3: anybody in the Bye Bye Man is worse than anybody in Sleepaway Camp for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know, I was saying like at least half of the 80s slashers we watched in October were worse than the Bye Bye Man. I just think there's this thing with recency bias, and mm-hmm. typically, people yes. either love or hate like the newest thing you know, due to this recency bias. And I I just think people are way too hard on new movies. Um,
1: Agreed. I I totally agree with that. But, but Josh, there is one thing. So, and this is for the listener's benefit, you know, to side with, I gotta, (laughs) I'm going to call you out lovingly on one thing. I think of our whole warm, good spirited community, even though they do come after us, I, it seems like Josh you're the one that resorts to the name calling each time. Like, like, I think, what? I think you're the name caller among our community. Now, no Dave, back me up. He just, you just did it a few minutes ago. We got so many jerkwads. wads. Okay. You did well, some name calling.
3: But- let me just say this. Let me say this because I got in trouble with Kagan this week because I said that his comment about no escape was ludicrous. And the reason I said it was because he said, I didn't hear any good arguments against Jay saying that no escape was a, wasn't a horror movie, mm-hmm. True, but he hasn't seen the movie. So how does he know if our arguments are good or not? Like there's no frame of reference
2: to know whether or not our, arguments- well, actually, I don't I think David had said at one point that neither you or I said anything. Like we just kind of stayed quiet about it.
4: What Probably could the, the you say?
2: We're just, Probably because at this point, well, I haven't seen it. I've said that I haven't seen I it. I have a
3: Escape lot yet. that I could say, but it's not worth my time. And the, <laughs> list- <laughs> the listeners have said enough. Like, if you go to the comments at horrormoviepodcast.com, there are at least five listeners. I can figure out off the top of my head. There's Dino, Redcap, Jack, David. Just those three alone laid out plenty of good reasons why No Escape is not a horror movie, but Green Room is. So... <laughs> refer to those comments anyway my my main point here is that i'm sorry my main point here is that yes i use verbose verbiage uh a lot i i, I you, like, you've <laughs>
1: called you've called red cap jack a butthead before i'm just saying
4: i have really
1: <laughs> yes you have. you have you are a name caller it's really hilarious i say well, that my wife too i i always tell her she's a name caller and 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 she's always surprised too it's like name colors aren't really aware that they are name colors but you hold on hold
3: on i am not i'm not actually a name color though but <laughs> uh, but i am aware when i do it and what, that's what i'm trying to get to is i okay. say it because i think it's funny right that's the only reason i'm saying well it, of course I think it's funny. I'm not. I would not do it if I was actually mad. No, 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 no. I, <laughs> so yes, I would not say that our <laughs> listeners who don't like the Bye Bye Man are all a bunch of idiots. If I really <laughs> believe they were all a bunch of idiots, I just think that's funny to say. And absolutely, and, and, they're just, they're just, they're
2: just jerkwads. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. And, I,
3: and and as I was apologizing <laughs> to Kagan earlier today, <laughs> which I did, I was saying like. You know, it's not that – i uh, I'm not apologizing necessarily for the, the root of my comment. I do think that he shouldn't say that our arguments aren't good when he hasn't seen no escape. But my choice of word ludicrous was only chosen because I thought it was would be funny to call him out in that way. I would absolutely never do that. I <laughs>
2: totally, uh, totally hurt agree.
3: Feelings or to, like, attack them. So, yes. it's, always
2: tough way. it's always tough in a comment to read, like – Humor. If somebody's like, sort of, mm-hmm. you could you could read something as being extremely, um, you know, offensive or just lighthearted. It could be either way, but it just depends on how the reader takes it. You know, and it's it's so hard to to emphasize that in a comment.
1: Yes, yeah. that's exactly but right. I, and I just
3: it, like I just like using extreme language because I think it's funny.
1: It, it is fun. It's hilarious. <laughs> and yes, Josh, I know that you are always joking, and I think the listeners know that too. And the listeners who disagree with me about no escape, they are double crosser peewees. all of them. So, (laughs) (laughs) oh,
2: interestingly enough, and this is I'm looking here, uh, Jay. This is a comment. I'm not sure if you saw it. Was from Kagan actually, uh, who had with his defensive view with no escape. He did leave another comment. (laughs) I guess about halfway down. Um listening to the last episode, and I'll just read it to you real quick here. Just I won't read the whole thing, just part of it. Um, I'm not finished listening to the episode, but Jay, I would generally be really appreciative if you would stop being so crusty about paranormal horror. (laughs) I wouldn't bring it up, but it's been your mantra for a really long time. I get that it isn't your bag. I really do. But why not be positive about the films you're excited about and not feel necessary to make sour comments about others just because they are... (laughs) they're a paranormal. You can still make your voice be heard about your own harsh sensibilities without saying disparaging things about what other people like.
1: <laughs> That's it. That duty head isn't coming on this podcast ever again. Uh, yeah.
2: <laughs> and,
4: and so,
1: with that, let's move into uh, this week's special guest. <laughs> <laughs> all right at this point in episode 110 of horror movie podcast a moment you've all been waiting for we welcome back a special guest he was actually the horror movie podcast listener of the year in 2016 we welcome mr kagan breitenbach
0: hello guys oh who's cheering for me that's lovely (laughs) everybody is (laughs) the entire
1: community brother
0: I don't, I don't even have a speech prepared. Well, My eyes are watering even if you can't see it.
1: That's so. right. it was,
0: Wait,
3: you didn't prepare anything?
0: Wow. Oh, oh no. You'll be kind of mad at me when you figure out how much I did prepare. You'll be like, make this guy shut up. Get him off the show. Because
1: I was going to say, if so, you didn't prepare anything, then you're on the wrong show. You should be on Movie Podcast Weekly. That's what they do over there. So.
0: <laughs> Watch out, Andy.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: Hey, I actually was wondering today, why haven't you ever had Andy on HMP?
1: I think he'd be funny. Yeah, may, maybe we will.
0: And
3: he's a horror fan, which is always he really is. Surprises me. Yep, because
1: he really he's is. So
3: he's so down on this show and our community.
1: Yeah, he makes. Oh,
0: does, is he a listener?
1: He, uh, no, no. <laughs> no but, but he makes he fun of horror fans. Freaks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he, he
3: himself is a horror fan.
1: I believe he referred to us, us horror fans, as. Dark central core having bastards is what he called us.
0: <laughs> you swore on your family friendly show.
1: I know. I know. So <laughs> this one has a little more leeway.
0: Yeah, but- that's true. Well, I sat next to Andy at don't breathe. And he said, if he got scared, he was going to hold my hand.
1: <laughs> so we're really close. Now. Yeah. He's a, he's a good egg. Okay. Well oh, down to business. Um, down to business. So it's very exciting. It is 2017 and Kagan has just attended the Sundance Film Festival for 2017. And he is our, well, I I know that Josh attends Sundance as well. The Wolfman attends Sundance, so I I don't want to undercut what he does. But Kagan is our uh, correspondent in the field as well for Sundance (laughs) Film Festival. We appreciate him for that to give us a sneak peek at horror. But before we get to that, Wolfman Josh, would you, in case... I can't imagine that the listeners aren't familiar with Sundance, but in case we have like a brand new list or somebody who's young, maybe, they, maybe they're not up on the film festival scene. Could you just give a little overview of what the Sundance Film Festival is?
4: Sure.
3: The Sundance Film Festival is an annual film. I'm just, I sound like I'm reading something, but I'm just saying this off the top of my head. <laughs> the Sundance Film Festival is an annual film festival. It's held in Park City, Utah, as well as Salt Lake City, Ogden, and a little bit in Provo, Utah. Um, it was started by Robert Redford and a guy named Sterling Van Wagden who was at the time Redford's brother-in-law, um, many, many years ago as the U.S. Film Festival, or the Utah-slash-U.S. Film Festival. Mm-hmm. And uh, they started the Sundance Institute. They wanted to have this place where people could show their art films, and they did that. And at the time, they were doing a lot of the fe- – the, uh, institute stuff just right at the sundance ski resort in utah so for people who don't know uh, actor robert redford has his own ski resort named after his character in butch cassidy and the sundance kid and uh all of this whole thing began there at the sundance resort
4: mm-hmm. they still
3: do screenings there whenever i can i watch the movies there because that's a uh, redford's private screening room but um the festival's grown and grown and grown to become, at one point, probably the premier film festival in the world.
1: Even at, above at Cannes Film Festival?
3: At, at some point, I think it was. Wow. I, mean, I think it, wow.
1: I think now it's
3: probably like third or fourth, but it's still one of the absolute most renowned film festivals in the world. Um, it, it differed from those other festivals, because while Cannes was a very important festival, Berlin toronto uh, sundance really catered to american film and it really ca- uh, catered to independent film whereas some of those other festivals were about big premieres um they were obviously like in can they're about european film a lot of the time mm-hmm. but sundance had a real focus on united states filmmakers and especially even indigenous native american filmmakers they were they were really about the u.s and so that was something that set it apart the film festival now has grown to the point where it's also all about celebrities and and premieres and they've fought against that. They've tried to limit over the last like five years or so, they've tried to limit kind of all of the celebrity hoopla and limit the big parties and the and the giveaways and, and that stuff and tried to make it more about the film again. And they added some new categories that were more like independently based, like the next category and um the long story. Um or the short version of my long story is that <laughs> it's one of the best independent film festivals in the world. Um it's up there with Berlin, Cannes, Toronto. South by Southwest is now becoming the premier festival in the United States, I would say. Mm-hmm. It's starting to eclipse Sundance because it's doing what Sundance initially intended to do probably better. Yeah, Sundance does now.
1: Cause I was gonna ask you that. It's a little controversial, but mm-hmm. do you do you feel like Sundance is slipping more into a commercialized a film festival rather than just supporting the indie efforts
3: i definitely think they did for a time i think they are actively working against that now as i was mentioning over the last five years or so i think they're really trying hard to kind of like get back to their roots that's good that's good um but you know they balance that with still wanting to have the the recognition and all of that stuff so it's it's interesting like i don't think their documentaries for instance are as good at sundance and now as they are at a lot of other festivals because their documentaries are very politically driven, big issue films. And they're not really about the filmmaking. They're more about the issues. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, And there are other film festivals that focus a lot more on like their midnight screenings, which are typically where they relegate the genre film stuff to. True. <laughs> uh, and so, um, all, you know, a lot of films like Green Room, for instance, didn't premiere at Sundance. It did its final screening at Sundance. Mm-hmm. Um, and because there were probably other festivals that were better suited to the type of film that it was. So gotcha. a fantastic fest is one that's growing. Tribeca is growing. I mean, and it has been huge. Uh, but that was a very long-winded way of no, explaining I loved
4: it, uh, what
3: the Sundance Film Festival is all about. So it's held every year, mostly in Park City, Utah. There are screenings in Salt Lake City, Ogden, and Provo, and um, it's a lot of fun.
1: And Dr. Shock goes to this every year and just drives around
2: yeah. to try to
1: see Corey Feldman <laughs> right is that what you do
2: yeah that that must be it okay I, I, <laughs> I go I drive around looking for Corey Feldman I've I think, seen Corey uh, Feldman
1: <laughs> I know I know he's up there you
3: and I saw Polly Shore. I've seen Polly Shore it, those are my two those are my two favorite
2: celebrity sightings it, well, it is, is weird only the two of them would make a movie together
1: <laughs> I I mean I I have heard so many people it's really funny. I don't know why this is, but I've heard people say they see Corey Feldman up there. And I think that's hilarious.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, but yeah,
1: anyways, so it's, kind
2: of it's funny. I'd be a lot more excited to see Corey Feldman actually than Paulie Shore. I mean, right. Say Corey Feldman hasn't done anything in a long time, but then again, <laughs> this is actually Paulie Shore.
3: This is the first time in what year is it? 2017. Yes. Mm-hmm. In 16 years that I've not attended the Sundance Film Festival. Oh,
1: uh, I did so, not go
3: to anything this year. Well, do you, uh, this, is the, this is my first.
1: You, you know what, though? We're in luck because do you know who did attend? Our friend yeah. Kagan Breitenbach. So, Kagan, you're here to help us uh, get caught up on the horror offerings at Sundance Film Festival. So, uh, what do you got for us? What did you see? Yeah, well, in total... Well, first of all, I wanted to say, Josh, that I
0: really liked that overview of Sundance Film Festival. I It actually... Informed me a lot and gave me a lot of insight as into the movies that I actually was watching and why they were there i never even yeah. thought of some of those things before that but every that makes a lot of sense Interesting. Um, But yeah, I saw I saw 25 films at the festival this year, which is not as many as I have in the past um, I get a locals pass and uh, That gives me access to anything that's playing in the Salt Lake area, which is about seven theaters Not as much Corey Feldman spotting going on in Salt Lake as there is up in Park City, (laughs) but it's still fun. And pretty much anything that's playing up in Park City is playing in Salt Lake City at least once. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, this year, I have to say, well, okay. so first off, it was a great festival. I saw some really moving films. I saw a movie that's now in my top 10 of all time. Uh, It's not a horror, unfortunately, but
3: kagan not to interrupt you but since we're kind of doing the sundance overview just drop some titles of big horror films that people would be familiar with that you saw first at sundance
1: yes
0: over over the years oh yeah and i mean i haven't been like a i'm like i'm not a veteran per se but i've been doing uh, sundance pretty regularly for the last four years but like Uh, The Witch premiered. Well, like, The Witch showed at Sundance. Mm -hmm. It Follows, I first saw it at Sundance. Uh, Under the Shadow, I saw that at Sundance. Um, Well, you already said Green Room. I saw that first at Sundance. But, I mean, like, Blair Witch, that was a long time ago, but that's another, just to name drop, uh, horror films that have Mm -hmm. played at Sundance before. You
1: saw 31 there, didn't you? 31? Yeah, I saw saw 31. um, And... What yeah, about I'm trying to remember? I I know I saw jo- room
0: two three seven there. Oh yeah, which is not a horror film, but I did see that.
1: <laughs> Josh yeah. and I saw Dead Snow two together there.
0: That's true. Oh yeah, that oh. was a couple of years ago. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh wow. Yes.
0: I wasn't as a, much of a diehard horror. It's your guys's fault. It's your fault. Like I was. <laughs> I was like a horror. Like it was pretty minor, and now it's like the only thing I talk
1: about. So <laughs> that's yeah, awesome. it's your fault. So of the twenty-five you saw this year, then, um, it, how many of those were horror films? Um, yeah,
0: this is the sad part. Only four, and that was like with me, like really digging and really trying to find. And the only thing that wasn't really classified as horror at the festival that I didn't see was Get Out which you all should probably be familiar with Mm because it's a major Blumhouse Mm -hmm. release. Yes, And I don't even, like Josh had mentioned that he knew it was going to be premiering at Sundance and I had no clue. It only showed one time on a Tuesday night at midnight in Park City and it was a surprise screening. So if you look at the schedule. I I
3: follow a lot of the Blumhouse guys on Twitter and there was a lot of info about the surprise, but...
0: Gotcha. Yeah, because otherwise I would have been first in line because the trailer for that thing has me so excited. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's rocking a pretty good Metascore. So I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing it.
3: Just to name drop one more film, Adam Green's Frozen. Oh, Oh, so so there you go, Jason. (laughs) Perfect.
1: I love it. Okay.
0: Uh Well, uh, if you want me to go into, so the, I'll just give, say the four names of the horror films I want to talk about. Plus if there's time afterwards, if you guys aren't sick of me, there's two other movies that I think are horror adjacent enough that I want to mention them. Okay. Uh, so the first one is XX, which you guys had mentioned on the show last week. Mm -hmm. And then a French horror film you also mentioned called raw and then an Australian movie called killing ground. Um, and then, uh, a horror comedy called Snatchers that I actually got to work on. So,
1: oh yeah, you got you got to work on it. Can we start with that one? I'm very intrigued. Oh, you want to you want to start with Snatchers? Well, huh? okay. sorry, I don't want to mess up your order. You maybe you no, had plans. No. So, well, no, I
0: mean, other than like, I have I have a political agenda that's not well. Like in the first couple, one don't worry, it's nothing annoying. Uh, with a couple <laughs> of the movies I want to talk about, but okay, um, we'll talk about Snatchers. I don't want to. I hope I didn't scare you by saying that.
1: No. I, anyway. <laughs> no.
0: Okay. So <laughs> Snatchers was a is a film I got to work on. It was shot here locally, but was actually uh, funded by Warner Brothers. Uh, it's, uh, it's kind of an unusual release because it was made as kind of like a exclusive series for a streaming service that Warner Brothers is putting together called uh, Stage 13 Network. I think is what it's called. Mm-hmm. It's going to be coming out later. But uh, so... For festivals and for international release it's being marketed as a feature film Um, but eventually it will be a series. Uh, So the synopsis for it is uh, after status obsessed teen Sarah loses her virginity. She wakes up nine months pregnant with an alien. The only person she can trust without ruining her newfound popularity is her nerdy ex-friend Haley. Once the Snatcher that's what the monster is called emerges carnage ensues forcing the duo to enlist the help of a conspiracy theory obsessed alpaca farmer to put an end to it before all all hell breaks loose so i know that's kind of a bizarre plot but base it is a horror comedy and i basically describe it as juno but juno's pregnant with a body snatching alien <laughs> <laughs> i gotcha okay and i i i I, I'm kind of with you, Jay. Like, horror comedy is not really my thing. Mm-hmm. I, li- I like comedy in horror when it's dark and it doesn't like when the scares aren't being played for laughs. Here, the scares are being played for laughs, but it really works. And I'm not just saying that because I worked on it. I was actually really impressed to see what the directors did with this. It came together really well. Um, the dialogue in it is really smart and crudely hilarious. And uh, like there's a lot of like (laughs) offensive humor in here that I it's really good. So (laughs) my my husband also hates horror comedy and he sat with me uh, watching this and he really enjoyed it if that says anything.
1: Yeah. Would you say it's like equal scare to laughter or is it more comedic than it is? Oh, it's it's way more. It's way more comedic. Like this
0: isn't. This isn't necessarily for you. Okay. I would think, like I think you I think you'd enjoy it. Like I think you'd find it funny, but I don't think you'd look at it as a horror film. I'm you'd look you. at it as a as a comedy. Um but I mean the Juno comparisons also apt to not just because there's a teen pregnancy involved, but also because it, it has a lot of heart to it. There's um it taps into a lot of what it's like to be a teenager like why we abandon friends because it's no longer cool to hang out with them. And sometimes we do anything to get people to like us, like have sex with them. And there's a really touching mother daughter story in it too. So it's, it's really funny. It's more of kind of like a Sam Raimi bloodbath, hilarious hilarity ensues sort of movie, but
4: Mm -hmm.
0: yeah, I I thought it was really well done and it's hard to objectively rate something, but for me, I'd give it, Somewhere around like an 8 out of 10.
1: 8 out of 10. Nice. And what was your yeah. role on that one, Kagan?
0: I was, I was the music editor, but I also did some orchestration on it too. So mostly in the main titles. So when you hear the main titles for that, at the very beginning, you can hear some of my music. Nice. And, uh, Excellent. But otherwise, I was doing stuff like like writing contracts and being cool. the, writing cue sheets. So behind the scenes sort of stuff. Okay. But it was really fun to go to Sundance and have my name on something finally. Yeah, if, congratulations. it was just music editor. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. That's That's,
2: awesome. really, cool. that's yeah, really cool. Yeah, that's
0: really cool. It's
1: Thank legit. you. We got the music editor of Snatchers <laughs> on Horror Movie Podcast tonight, <laughs> yep. everybody. Nice. Yeah.
0: Well, <laughs> and hopefully we'll actually have... So the composer of it is a guy named Chris Doucette, and he's a good friend of mine, and he's worked... Uh, well, he was... He and I have co-composed a few things together, but he's probably going to be on Universal Monsters cast as a guest on our next episode. Oh, hopefully. Excellent,
1: yes. excellent. Which, which you are the editor of cool. that podcast? Is that correct? Yes. The producer, yes, I am.
0: Editor is. Yeah. Nice. I am. I'm the editor, and you can hear some of my uh-huh. hear some of my lovely music at the beginning uh-huh. of it. So.
1: <laughs> fancy, <laughs> yeah. fancy. So, th- yes, that's wonderful. Awesome. So Snatcher's it sounds like this is something you'd recommend giving it an 8 out of 10 and you tell people yep. to check this out. Do we have any idea of when when we're going to get this again or or, or So this is going to launch when the actual new streaming service goes
0: live, which I don't know 100% when that's going to be. I was told by my friend Chris the composer that it'll probably be sometime in February, mm-hmm. but um, if I find out more details on this, because I tried to do some homework on it and didn't find anything, but if I if I learn more about this, I will comment about it and uh, comment about it for under this show.
1: Okay, you got <laughs> it. Yeah, and and most of these, and maybe we don't know this either because this because right, Josh, sometimes. They're waiting on distribution or whatever but but can so we assume a long
3: time like the devil's candy has been two years still so not <laughs>
1: so, yeah. yeah so so these four films you're going to talk about tonight they aren't necessarily going to be out in 2017 but the goal is for them to release this year right
0: yeah and the next two i want to talk about actually for sure are coming out in 2017 like they've been picked up they have release dates oh great. So, okay at least those you have something to look forward to um so did you guys have any want to know anything else about snatchers or should i go ahead to the next one how did the screening go the audience responded to it really well it was lots of laughs people which is what you want in that situation yeah it was <laughs> the sound the sound mix sounded great uh-huh. um did so. they
3: let you test it before? That's the scariest thing before showing a movie at a film festival is like, you don't know who has put the film in. You don't know what the audio level is going to be like. You have to kind of stand there and give it a thumbs up or thumbs down if it's too loud. Or And if you're wrong, like if you're a little bit wrong, you notice it the whole way through the movie. Like, this is so loud or like, I can't hear anything. It's so, it's very scary. That's stressful.
0: I, I actually don't know. Uh, Cause I, I know the sound is the sound designer. On this as well and he he said that when they saw it up in park city because it premiered up in park city and then i saw it when it played in salt lake a couple days later and he said the mix in park city was like melt your face off loud he said it was an uncomfortable viewing experience but yeah the sound system in the broadway is actually at the at our art house cinema here is actually pretty updated and it sounded really great in there
1: great excellent okay so that's snatchers and uh, what else you got for us, Kagan?
0: Okay, so the next one is one that you had mentioned on the show last week. It's called XX. And, uh, like, and Jay, you, you had actually figured it out. You're like, oh, like chromosomes. And I'm really stupid because I didn't notice that until I was sitting in the theater about to watch it. And I saw the title <laughs> go up, and I'm like, oh, Cause it's like a lady movie and the X's are the chromosome. <laughs> oh man. That's, right. that's so smart. <laughs> yeah. So good for you for getting it. I did not until I was watching it.
1: Thank you. My sixth grade um, science teacher would, will be very proud.
0: Well, you want to know what's upsetting is that I work 30 <laughs> hours a week, uh, at a website called the genetic science learning center.
4: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. So that's embarrassing. You're just I, you're I, too
1: close to it. You're too close to it. That's all. Okay, <laughs> don't, don't worry.
0: Well, I've just learned that chromosomes are actually not that important, so. That's right. It's it's everything else that is, so. <laughs>
1: All
0: right. Oh, that's
1: that's so nerdy. Right. That's right. Like anyway. your heart and your, yes.
0: No, I'm talking about like proteins no, and I'm amino just,
1: acids. I'm just, I know my mitochondria are pretty important to me, but anyways. My mo- Wow.
0: Sorry. Let me change the subject here, guys. (laughs) Sorry. So, as you know, XX (laughs) is an all-female directed horror anthology. And I'm just going to rattle off the director's names. Sofia Carrillo, I think is how you say her name. And she did the stop-motion wraparound, which I think was my favorite part. You don't see a lot of uh, anthologies with a really artsy stop-motion wraparound. And, man, this girl's good. I was really impressed with that. Um, there's, uh, up and comer called, well named Jovanka Vakovic and she directed the first segment called the box. I thought that was really strong and I actually got to meet with her after the screening. She's got beautiful, long red hair and she's incredibly nice. And, uh, I know she's working on a, on a feature, a horror feature coming up or, and, uh, I really hope that I'm really looking forward to that. And, um, then we have Annie Clark, AKA St. Vincent, uh, this is yeah. her directorial debut. She's doing a, did a segment called "The Birthday Party." Then Roxanne Ben,
3: because I'm a fan of her music, but I am, was leery to hear that she was directing a horror movie.
0: Yeah, so uh, I think three out of the four of these installments, because the wraparound is just you know it's the wraparound, but three out of the four installments are pretty horror. The Birthday Party was more horror comedy. Okay, and um, it's kind of like silly coen brothers comedy and i think mm. it worked it worked pretty well like i, I said, I love
3: the yeah. coen brothers but
0: yeah yeah um and yeah, me too like i said before like horror comedy is not necessarily my thing so i i think i'd still be interested to see what she has to do next but hers wasn't necessarily my favorite i didn't like dislike it per se it was just i'm like yeah this is silliness in my horror movie i don't want this <laughs> it's funny though, in the Q and a though, they said that her segment, the birthday party was actually supposed to be like really intense and gross. And they decided to go in a different direction with it. Mm. But maybe, I don't know. And then Roxanne Benjamin did the segment segment. Don't fall. And then this one nice. should be a, f- a familiar name. Karen Kusama. I think well, is Roxanne nice
3: Benjamin, Roxanne mm-hmm. Benjamin. I like as well. She was, uh, did Southbound, um, she was one of the Southbound segment directors, which I, I really enjoyed Southbound quite a bit.
1: And, and I love Karen Kusama, by the way. She is oh, it's Karen. Yeah, oh, that's you. how she pronounces it. But I I love her from The Invitation and Girlfriend, Fight, oh, yeah. yeah.
3: Jennifer's yeah. body is underrated. Actually, I think is it had a lot of backlash, but I think it's actually better than it gets credit for. And Jennifer's
1: yeah, I mean, body is a 10 out of 10. Let's be honest. No, i just kidding. So, <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry. so bad.
0: Well, <laughs> I, I think her segment was probably the best on a technical level. Like, you could tell that she was probably the most sa- the most savvy filmmaker. Mm-hmm.
3: Um, directed Aeon Flux. I mean, she's been through the grind.
0: <laughs> oh, boy. She's
3: paid her that. dues. Oh, it's that, that, terrible, but she, you know, I mean big effects movie and just having a bomb on her hands. I mean, she's, she's been through the ringer, so she knows what it's about.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm glad to see her come out on the other end. Cause the invitation <laughs> is damn good. Yes, so, sir. Absolutely. Well, so each director on this anthology was given creative freedom. They were kind of just like given like the same amount of money and said, here you go, go make what you want. Um, but what was kind of interesting about that is they all in they all had um, some of the same thematic material. Like, they were all kind of like family oriented. Like, they dealt with horror that happens in the family. And uh, my two favorite segments, the first and the last, uh, dealt with parent child relationships. Oh, love so, it. Yeah. And uh, the stories are also told, like, primary, primarily from a woman's perspective, too, which makes it feel more unified. Um, but overall I liked it pretty well. <laughs> My main criticisms are just that the budgets were so small that they didn't look as polished as I think they could have. Uh, I, w- I was told afterwards that they were only given like a hundred thousand each to make their respective segments, which to have a really nice looking film, like, and these are, we're talking like 20 minute films here. That's yeah. not very much money at all. Mm hmm. Um, also just like a subjective criticism is that, you know how, when you guys were talking about our anthologies and shorts, that anthologies are basically a collection of short films yeah, and, sh- and short films work best when they kind of have like a setup, a buildup and a punchline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, these didn't really have much of punchlines as much as they had setup and build up and buildup. And that kind of felt funny to me. I mm-hmm. wanted, like I actually kind of would have loved to see the first segment taken and made into a feature film. What was the first one again? The box, okay. and that was directed by Ivanka Vukovic. And uh, so I'm really anyway. excited
3: about the birthday party cast. It's uh, uh, like um, Sheila Vant, who's uh, the uh, vampire gal. <laughs> What's that what she called? The girl who walks home alone at night.
1: Oh yeah, vampire oh, really? lady.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, huge fan of hers. And she's going to be in that new um, film from that director as well. The Melanie Linsky who has yes. been doing a lot of great work mm-hmm. as of late, and um, Lindsay Burge as well. I don't know which which one was Lindsay Burge, and she must have been in, in uh, the other ladies in the Invitation Ladies film, uh, Ky- Kyron, uh, yeah.
0: And I can't remember. I'm bad. I'm actually. I was actually fairly unfamiliar with a lot of the. Like, a lot of the cast of this except for like you said, from the birthday party. Right.
1: Um, but okay. So, yeah. so how do you, where do you come in for a rating on this as a whole? And you can, you can also rate the individuals segments if you wish.
0: Well, actually this is where I kind of want to the, you know, assert a little bit of an, like get on a soapbox just for a second okay. about this movie. Let's hear it. Yeah. Um, cause like my takeaway from this is that I'd actually love to see all of these, like I'd be comfortable seeing all five of these directors get the opportunity to make a feature-length horror film. Like I think they have the chops. Like even even if I didn't necessarily love everything going on here, I think they have the chops that it's worth greenlighting them on a bigger production.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, so Roxanne Benjamin was at the uh, was at the screening I was at, and she was wearing this pin that said seven percent on it. And uh, they said that the 7% stood for the number of working female directors. And I was like, wow, that can't wow. possibly be that low. So I found an article on Entertainment Weekly that came out on January 12th. And it said that um, 7% of 2016's top grossing films were directed by women. So that's a sample size of 250 films. So that's kind of egregious. And, yeah, um, yeah. I, I took a sampling of kind of some of our own movies around, a uh, horror movie uh-huh. podcast and, uh, so all four of our top 10 lists. So all four of us on this, uh, in this conversation, mm-hmm. plus the listeners, that's 23 different films and the only one directed by a woman was the invitation.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, huh. And so that's crazy. Now it is so, so why is this the case then? I mean, are we just don't worry, the
3: bye bye man will be on the top of everybody's (laughs) list next year, (laughs)
1: apparently. (laughs) But, but I mean, is it can we attribute this to blatant sexism? Is that what it is? Just, Just chauvinism, where they don't want women in the business? Is it too hard for a woman to get in? Why is that the case?
3: Well, there's been a lot of women upset about all of these young guys getting these huge franchises with so little experience Mm -hmm. you know um to have a gareth edwards come along and have the opportunities that he's had while there are so many women with so much more experience than him and 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 some of their films you know much more artfully done and much more uh, impressive films as much as i love monsters Mm -hmm. to have the career trajectory that he's had to go from that film to godzilla to rogue one um there are a lot of women directors upset about that, you know, that, that they're, they keep hiring these guys who are fresh out of film school or just done one short film or, um, you know, Fanny Alvarez is another good example, you know, I mean, he made that really cool little short film that got him noticed, but you know, he gets a huge franchise like Evil Dead right off the bat. I mean, that's, yeah, that's a big deal when there are people who have put in their time and I've been directing for 20 years, and you know have this body of work to show, and cannot get a phone call. Stacey Title talked about this on her AMA that she did for the Bye Bye Man, where she said, "Like it's crazy, especially in horror, it's even harder um, for women to kind of get a movie." So
1: that is crazy to me because all you got to say to people is two words: Catherine Bigelow. I mean, look at her filmography. Mm-hmm. Her films are ex- very engaging, yeah. very well oh. done. She even has a horror oh. flick back there, *Near Dark*, which I think all and of us. And she has love.
3: trouble getting movies too. I mean, that's. You I know, know Hurt Locker, Hurt Zero Locker Dark Thirty. Now Hurt Locker came about because she couldn't get big movies. She had to go back and do something small, which is insane.
1: It is, and that won six Oscars, by the way, Hurt Locker. Yeah. So I'm just saying, it's ridiculous. And but so is it just that the barrier to entry then and nobody gives them a shot um, when when there's a budget to be had where where they're hiring a filmmaker, they won't hire a woman? Is that is that generally what's happening then?
3: They say the st- the studios say that women don't want to do big CGI movies, that women don't want these types of movies. And I just don't think that's the case. I, I mean, I don't have like. Look, I I should also say I'm not an expert on this by any means. I just I know what I read in the in the trades or whatever, and I follow um, like a few people on Twitter, like women in media and and stuff like that. But there, yeah, I mean the kind of the line I guess coming out of Hollywood is that women don't want these types of films. They they want more uh, cerebral films, and the women are like, actually, no, give us one of these. <laughs> we'll, we'll take the money too. You know, like yeah, seriously,
1: shot. <laughs> I'm, I'm, with yeah, you. I'm sure
0: I, I honestly haven't like other than what Josh is saying I have no idea why the studios don't want to you know give give these women the same chance um but I mean I'm I'm not really necessarily a political activist or stuff or anything like that but like as a as a horror film lover I selfishly want to see more women making horror films because I want to see new different things
4: mm-hmm. and I
0: think this is a big group of untapped talent with unique voices and totally different sensibilities that we haven't heard from. And so for that, I'd love to see more female directors. And I well, think XX is actually kind of important in that conversation because like, am I going to buy this movie? No. Am I going to watch it again? Probably, but I can easily recommend it. I think, I think it's a good anthology movie and it's at the same level of like the VHS movies. But I think XX is more important because it could be a, this it, it has the potential to be this vehicle to um, act as a platform for upcoming horror, like female horror directors mm-hmm. to like show their chops in a 20 minute short. And I don't know just be like look what that's look what this person can do. I yeah. don't know.
3: Yeah, I mean, I know that there are people who are upset about that. Even, like, I know Buffy Slayher, who's a lady. She put a comment in the comments a few ago when XX was announced. Like, she hates that it's all about women and everything. And, like, I, I don't want to misquote you, Buffy, so please, you know, give us your thoughts on it in the comments for this show. But and my recollection is she was annoyed that it was all kind of all about women. And I get that there are people who are, like, hire the best person for the job that's it and i think that's fine and that's important but i think we also have to recognize that there are certain minority groups women included who because they haven't had the opportunity to develop their skills because of historically uh, the existence of sexism and racism and and other isms um that there the playing field hasn't ha- hasn't been leveled for them and so it takes it takes an opportunity for some of these minority groups to uh, be able to compete at the same level, and well they said. and I just I think that's important. That you know diversity isn't something that we should force. Like I know Matroid, for instance, he's not a fan of diversity. <laughs> no, but his thing is always like, oh, you have to have a woman and an Asian thrown into the mix, no matter what it <laughs> is. And it's just like, or he's really upset that the Dark Tower is is Idris Elba because he's a fan of the books and he doesn't think that's representative of whatever. So he he doesn't like false diversity. And I would agree. I don't like forced diversity. Well, yeah. but But what I think it should be is representative of the culture we live in. So if we can have the world that we see on screen look like the world that we live in. exactly, I think that's enough.
1: I agree you know, with it that.
3: That's not the case right
1: now. And, and maybe, and I and I don't know if this is accurate either, as far as like um what Buffy Slayer said, <laughs> but but like I to chime in with with you, Josh. I think the fact that like if you do hire a woman, you know, director. I don't. I don't think it needs to be this patronizing. Hey, look, there's a woman, or there's a woman here doing this, and you know what I mean. I that's one thing that bugs me is when you do put somebody in and then they, they make a big deal about it. I, I don't think there should be a big deal about it, like a parade. True. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. That's kind of offensive or patronizing or something. <laughs> but, yeah. I hear you. But anyways, um,
0: so Kagan. Yeah, and, and I totally see what you guys, what like, I totally see that side of the argument too. Like, like I was talking to my husband about it too. And he's like, well, you know, Because the next movie I'm going to talk about is also directed by a woman, but there's, like, no mention of it at all. Like, like whereas XX uses it as promotional material. Mm -hmm. See, like, I get that. But I also think that, like, sometimes when the playing field is so disadvantaged, like, sometimes you have to do something to level it. So,
1: Well, as her little horror brother, or her horror little brother, I would like to nominate from our community... Projectile varmint to make a film and be the director. Do <laughs> it. Yeah. Did you, did right, you see that? There you go. See that, Josh? You're her horror husband, and Doc's right. and Doc's her horror nemesis. But i which is
2: which is amazing, seeing as we had some so many of the same movies on our <laughs> That's list.
1: That's but... right. But I wait, wait. Why is she then Why is he the nemesis? I don't get it. Doctor Shock. Well, he you know how he is. He's provoking everyone week after <laughs> week. <laughs>
0: Yes. week after I, 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 week I, 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 I liked it when he, no he and, yeah, yeah <laughs> I like how he was provoking all the listeners last week by calling them all out
1: I know. Yeah, right. calling them hypocritical and stuff Jeez, Dave <laughs> hey, um,
3: if I could just break you for one second I've misquoted Buffy Slayer two episodes in a row now so I thought I should just find her comment and read it really quick so let's do it Um this is what she says I love anthologies, so when I saw some info for this pop up on a few horror news sites a couple of weeks ago, I was pretty excited for a new one. However, I was a little put off by the quote, all-female director's marketing that was going along with the film. I get that an all-female directed horror anthology is a novelty, but I just find it a bit annoying. Agreed. That's, that's all she said. Yeah. yeah
1: that's fair. Uh, Buffy, I think I I uh, I think I connected with you right there when, when I tried to chime in on what you said way more articulately than the way I said it. So anyway. Okay, so you're going to give us ratings for this, Kagan, or are you just going to tease us?
0: Yeah, no, I I give this a 7 out of 10. Okay. I say it's worth checking out. I think that it's worth supporting, and uh, I have a release date. It's going to be in limited release, and on iTunes and Amazon on February 17th, so very, very soon. Yes. So you can have the chance to watch it and argue about it on the message boards if you want.
3: No, I do want to, I will put this in the show notes, but I do want to recommend people who are skeptical about this thing to just read one little article. It's not going to kill you. It's on IndieWire. And I'll, again, I'll put the link. The, The headline is new study reveals that more female directors were behind the camera in 1998 than in 2016. And there are a lot of the issues discussed in there that we have talked about and it's, it's worth reading.
1: Wow. Okay. I would be, does it, i just curious, does it give an answer or a theory on why that is?
3: You're going to have to read the article to find out, Jay. Because
1: <laughs> okay. if you said, if you said it didn't, <laughs> if it didn't even at least theorize, then I probably wouldn't read it. But if you're telling me it is, I'm definitely going to read it because I, yeah, I like. Definitely read it. And uh, okay. here's
3: one other. <laughs> um, this one is interesting. It's the same, it's the same Uh, writer for indie wire but this is the article i was referring to before it says female directors want to direct blockbusters here's why they don't and then yeah okay it's it's really interesting
1: stuff that's awesome okay so kagan is giving xx a seven and the release date is february 17th and that sounds good anything else on xx kagan nope that's it Love it, and I'm gonna I'm gonna drop the
0: agenda moving into the next one, because I just I'm just excited about this movie. This movie's called Raw, oh. raw, and yes. uh, you mentioned it on the show last week, <laughs> and it's easily the breakout horror film of Sundance this year. It is the one to see. Pumped. Um, let's see. Oh yeah, I have a synopsis. I I don't know if you guys want me to read that. Do you want that? Yeah, bring it. Sure. Okay, so yeah, if you're sure. really in. If you're really intense about, you know, spoilers and synopsis, go ahead and skip the next 30 seconds. Um, so everyone in Justine's family is a vet and a vegetarian. At 16, she's a brilliant student starting out at veterinary school where she experiences a decadent, merciless, and dangerously seductive world. Desperate to fit in, she strays from her family principles and eats raw meat for the first time. Justine will soon face the terrible and unexpected consequences as her true self begins to emerge. So, this thing is kind of crazy. And it's a lot of fun. <laughs> yes. Um, so, I find myself turning a lot to foreign cinema for the best horror and with, like, The Wailing and Demon and Under the Shadow last year. Like, mm-hmm. it's just they feel just fresh and different and they don't adhere to the pacing that you expect of Hollywood films. Mm-hmm. And I, and I'm going to swear this film was batshit crazy. It is <laughs> nice. <laughs> and, it it. Is, and it is totally, totally to be experienced in a full theater. If you can on opening night, um, it is in French. So I don't know if it's going to get any sort of wide release or if they're going to dub it or anything, but it's just a lot of fun it's darkly comedic but it's not like in a sloppy horror comedy sort of way it's like you're laughing because of how disgusted you are like you can't believe what gross things are going on the screen i love it and and because of that you can't help but like cringe and look at the person next to you and be like (laughs) what the hell is happening um so this film falls into body horror category but it's might be different than what you're expecting because even though it's pretty gruesome, I could actually see some horror fans not calling it horror because, like, for Jay's TNA, there's not really a victor or a victim in this movie. Hmm. It's more about a coming-of-age story. It's like a story of self-realization, but a really gross one. So,
1: Yep. Wow. Um, I'm excited to see that just so we can discuss the themes that are obvious that must be underlying in there. That sounds very intriguing. Okay.
0: Yeah. And this, this is one of those movies that there are rumors about people barfing in it or walking out. And I suppose that's possible, but I don't think it's necessarily that intense, Mm -hmm. but
1: yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. So raw is the one to see from this year and it has a release date of March 10th.
1: March 10th, so and that'll probably be limited, we're thinking, and then... I
0: think so. Somebody said it was getting wide release, but I can't imagine a French film that's this weird Yeah, getting wide release. I just can't, oh. um, but it's, I give it a 9.5. Like, I love this thing. It's going to be on my top 10 this year, I have no doubt.
1: Oh, wow. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. I'm very pumped for that. I mean, it's just the premise. The premise totally works. Vegetarian goes <laughs> g- goes carnivore man. Yep. Yes. Bring it.
0: And maybe maybe
1: even further. Yes. Not to spoil. That doesn't spoil much. Right. Right. It doesn't spoil anything. Yeah. I mean, I figured it was. Uh, <laughs> there's a maybe a cannibal theme in there, if I'm guessing. I haven't seen it, guys. In those, you know. So the, just saying. Okay. Raw. Bring it on. Yep. Okay. That's great. And then you have uh, one more from Australia. Is that right?
0: Yeah, that's right. Killing ground. So, uh, I think raw like Jay. I think you'll like it, but I think that's really a Josh. I think that's really a Wolfman Josh movie. But I think what? Killing, I do. Wow, I do.
3: that surprises me because that does not seem like a movie I was even going to search out. <laughs> <laughs> it's,
0: it's kind. It's it's artsy fartsy foreign cinema like The Wailing. Okay. I thought, I thought it might be up your. I thought it might be up your alley. Because it's up raw, line too. The
3: raw thing sounds more like Jay to me. Like yes. just the basic thing.
0: Like yes. eat. Okay. eat yeah. Gotcha. Everybody. Well, <laughs> I think Jay will like it too. I think it might not, because I talked to, because I have a lot of other, even more hardcore horror friends that live locally, and they're like, it didn't go as far as I wanted it to. And I'm like, you're crazy. It was perfect. Huh. So. That's the only thing i worry worried about for you, Jay, is that you might not think it goes far enough.
1: Okay, well, yeah, I do like it go huh. pretty far, because I love eat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. All right.
0: All right. Cool. So, Killing killing Ground. Uh, yeah, I think this is more of a Jay movie, in my opinion. And it. this wasn't mentioned on your show last week, and I think it's because on IMDB, for some reason, it's listed as a thriller. No mm. horror tag on it at all. Mm-hmm which I totally disagree with. I think it's pretty hardcore core horror. Um, it might not be listed horror because the main weapons in it are like hunting rifles and there's not a ton of gore, but the things that happen in it are horrifying. It's, it's Australian, like you said, and it's kind of in the vein of Hills Have Eyes and kind of like Wolf Creek, yes. except it's like more realistic than both of those
1: like oh. yeah like You're singing my is, song sir
0: yeah this is horror in the daylight like bad things happen to good people who are in the wrong place at the right time it is cringeworthy Ooh. um so
3: <laughs> sounds like you compiled that
1: review from a list of jay's favorite things i know i'm, uh, I'm so <laughs> pumped right now i can't even stand it
0: yeah i mean what i so people said there was walkouts for raw but for me, like I would more likely walk out of Killing Ground just because it's so damn mean spirited. It's it's the something it's something Roger Ebert would have walked out of. And uh even though there's not a ton of gore in it, it's kinda torture porny. Like not like hostile level, but just like, let's see how much like psychological punishment we can put the audience through. It's pretty mean.
1: <laughs> uh oh.
0: But um it's kinda like like I said, it's kinda of like Wolf Creek, but I think I actually prefer it to Wolf Creek. I think it's more fulfilling and it feels like where Wolf Creek can kind of feel anticlimactic, this feels pretty complete. Um so yeah, I have a synopsis too if you want to hear, but it's basically it's just camping trip gone wrong.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well yeah, tell <laughs> tell us the synopsis. I'm I am just hanging on your every word on this one. I can't wait for this. Okay, so Ian and Samantha head to a national park, hoping the
0: bush will give them the space for some quiet time together. They arrive in an isolated campsite to find an SUV and a tent, no sign of the occupants. As night falls and the campers fail to return, Ian and Sam grow increasingly uneasy. The discovery of a distressed child, by the way, it's actually a baby, (laughs) wandering in the woods unleashes a terrifying chain of events that tests the young couple to a breaking point. (laughs) But there's also kind of a... They use a like a nonlinear storytelling device with this. And I, I won't tell you what it is just because it's not a spoiler or anything. It's just kind of fun to experience it and figure mm. out how they're telling the story Excellent. when you're watching it. So
1: I love it. So what do you rate killing ground?
0: I give it an eight out of 10. And like I said, it's, it wasn't necessarily for me because it's so mean spirited, in my opinion, that like it stopped being kind. Of, it stopped being fun for me. But for what it is, it's really well done. It's really intense. So I call it eight out of ten high priority rental.
1: Wow. Okay. And do we have any release info on that one? I don't. And I looked
0: and looked and looked. I I think they they have a distribution company, but I don't. I didn't see a release date anywhere. Okay, so I'm sorry to tease you, but again, if I find anything on this, I'll post it in the comments.
1: <laughs> that's the only painful thing for me about film festivals is how long you got to wait sometimes in order to finally catch up with the films you've heard about. But
3: Well, if you're there, you're going to see
1: them. <laughs> yeah, that's a big if. Okay, so. Yeah. <sighs>
0: and, you know, <laughs> Sundance these days has turned into kind of like watch it on Netflix, watch it on in the theater three months before it goes to netflix like there were so many netflix movies this year <laughs>
1: mm, Interesting. Um,
0: well josh wanted me to mention one actually it was called i don't feel at home in this world anymore yeah. I, I i didn't see that because it was a netflix film uh but it was making the and listeners of this podcast will know him as the star of blue ruin and he plays next to patrick stewart in green
1: room and he also he- he's just right now he's in theaters for those who don't know in a small role in Gold the Matthew McConaughey Snoozer
0: oh,
1: anyway go ahead a snoozer <laughs> pretty much yes
0: oh boy <laughs> um yeah well this it's well i don't feel at home at this in this world anymore won the grand jury prize this year so the most prestigious
3: congratulations prize. to Macon Blair he won's the grand jury. isn't that amazing
0: that is amazing. Guy,
3: that's just like this cool guy. He's like this character actor. He's in Blue Ruin. I mean, I had seen him in Murder Party, but most people saw him for the first time in Blue Ruin. And you're like, that ah, he was incredible. I hope this guy will ever get a chance to work again. Then he's in green room and now he's directly making his directorial debut and he wins the grand jury prize at Sundance. Like, ugh, it's like a, it's the American dream. You guys,
1: I and love it. And, and this one is like a crime thriller, which is totally up my alley. And you said this is going to Netflix really soon.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't know exactly when, but typically when a Netflix film goes to Sundance, it'll be on Netflix
1: within a month or two. Oh, I can't wait. Okay. Thank you.
3: So I, I tweeted Macon about this uh, earlier in the week, and he said a few things that were interesting. Um, I guess um, Mike, geez, Mike Flanagan was trying to get a DVD release for Hush, despite it being a Netflix original. And, um, so he was kind of going through the process of like, man, I mean, you know, trying to convince Netflix to let him release it as a blu-ray as well and not having a lot of um, success there. And I asked Macon if he knew if he was going to be able to have, um, a blu-ray release and he had said that he wasn't, but, um, I just sent him a tweet, you know, kind of congratulating him. And he said, thank you, by the way, this is not a horror movie, just so you know, um, But with Jane Levy in the film and Elijah Wood and Macon Blair, I just feel like it might not technically be a horror movie, but there's such a strong pedigree for that cast. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like, that's that's a real indie genre um, A-list team. You know what I mean? For like indie genre movies, that's like a dream team right there, the three of those guys, so...
1: Yeah, and IMDB by the way says it's supposed to be in theaters on February twenty fourth, so I don't know if that's the case, but that's what it has listed here. Nice. Okay.
0: Yeah, I definitely think that's of interest to this audience too. And and there's an, there's there's one other film later on here that I wanna that I wanna mention that, you know, kinda has like the the A team, like the perfect pedigree. Yes, uh,
1: so was that the first one I don't feel at home in this world anymore? Was that the first of the two horror adjacent films you were talking about? No,
0: it wasn't. that oh, was okay. just one i because did, I didn't even see that because at Netflix when you well I mean at, not Netflix it's Sundance when you have so you know when your time is so sparse, you really want to see you know the stuff that you might not get a chance to see otherwise, and that's why I edged out something else other than I don't feel a home in this world anymore. Okay. So, uh, but yeah, if I know I've been on this call maybe longer than you had had planned, but if, if you want to,
1: I have two other (laughs) horror adjacent things that I can quickly, quickly go through. Yeah. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Let's just hear what's next.
0: Okay. So the next one's called 7852. So it's written 78 slash 52. And this is actually a documentary. And it's about a documentary about a single scene from a movie. It's about the shower scene from Psycho, and uh, I'm so going excited into it. About this. Oh, <laughs> I loved it, Josh! I loved it.
3: Oh, IFC Midnight picked this up, right? Is that correct? Yes,
0: they did. They wow. did. So I kind of felt skeptical going into this, like I did with Room Two Three Seven. I was like, can they really like? Yeah. Like Room Two Three Seven was about conspiracy theories about a film seventy eight fifty two is about a single scene, like how are they going to contain this?
1: yeah for and y- i was f-
0: and I was blown away because they have tons of interviews in there from lots of like it was, it's kind of fun to play celebrity spotting when you're watching this too. It's like, oh, look, it's that person and and that person's there too, but um they don't start the shot by shot breakdown of the shower scene until maybe forty minutes into this. all the lead up to it is like setting the scene like talking about what cinema was like up until that point how kill scenes were handled in cinema like what hitchcock's career <laughs> was like like what was like wow. the, like what was society like in the 1950s and why did it bubble up and turn into the shower scene in psycho and like for me i've seen psycho in the shower scene i don't even I, I could almost say maybe a hundred times. Like I've watched that movie so much and seen the shower scene everywhere. And I learned things about it from this movie that I never thought I would. And I would, they point out details in the film that I never had noticed before. And man, <laughs> like you could tell Hitchcock made psycho so that he could, so he could put in the shower scene. Okay. It took them seven days. just to shoot That one scene. Wow. And, the title, if you're wondering, seventy-eight fifty-two, uh, refers to seventy-eight different setups and fifty-two different cuts, and that kind of just tells you how complex that sequence is. Oh,
3: cool! So cool! Yeah, yeah, that's, it's that's so cool.
0: Awesome. Yeah, and I mean, I, I had a quote from Hitchcock that he said that they put in this film that I thought was kind of funny. It says, "I once made a movie, rather tongue-in-cheek, called Psycho." The content as such was, I felt, rather amusing, but it was a big joke. I was hor- horrified to find that some people actually took it seriously. <laughs> and <laughs> like, it's funny that like, Hitchcock really did just want to make this for the shower scene, and he didn't really take the rest of the movie very seriously, and yet it's like his masterpiece. <laughs>
3: <It's incredible>. That's <laughs> the kind of thing I can imagine Hitchcock saying also just to screw with people, because
2: that's yeah. true yeah he he did that kind of stuff all the time. If you read his <laughs> interviews with treffa <Trafell>
0: and <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. definitely,
1: yeah that's excellent. But what do you rate that I, one? I, I give it an
0: eight point five out of ten. Okay. but I think it has the potential to be even better because like he's he said in the q and a I met this director afterwards as well, and he said that he's um that he has an interview lined up with Martin Scorsese. And a couple other people, so oh nice. So he's hoping to juice up the movie even more, um, but it's nine. Like out of the movies I watched at Sundance, the time passed the fastest watching this because I was just like hanging on every word. I was like, oh, and then what happened? And what else? Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's it's 91 minutes as it is right now, right? I mean, oh yeah,
0: somewhere. I could watch it at two hours easy.
1: Excellent. Oh, that's cool. And so we don't have any info on the release of that one yet. 70, you know, 52.
0: Because that wasn't one of my main things I was talking about. I didn't write down a release date, but okay. I'll, I'll, I'll look. I'll look. Said,
3: I've one... seen Midnight has, oh, they told me, I'll have, to, I'll have to look. They just said later. If I, have the...
2: see, if I have seen Midnight has it, that means it'll be out, which is
3: awesome. I, I tweeted I, I them about it and they said it just later this year is
0: all they said. So mm-hmm. it'll be up 17
1: the Okay. Okay. <laughs> that's good we'll take it can't wait for that all right
0: okay and then the last one i talk about and then i'll let you guys go is uh, a movie called thoroughbred which is definitely not a horror film it's horror adjacent but i would love i would love listeners of this podcast to be like no it is a horror movie put it on your top 10 because i love this movie too it's a dark drama dark comedy um but it's been referred to as a bit of a neo-noir um and the synopsis is two teenage girls in suburban Connecticut rekindle their unlikely friendship after years of growing apart. In the process, they learn that neither is what she seems to be and that a murder might solve both of their problems. So the reason why this is important to me to bring up is because it stars uh, Anya Taylor-Joy from fame in The Witch, Morgan, yes. and now Split. Yes. Um, so she's turning into a modern icon i think i love her love her yeah me too and then olivia cook from bates motel and ouija so among other things Mm -hmm. yeah and um i was just i couldn't this movie is all about the performances and i knew those two were good but damn like this brings it to a different level and like olivia cook is like the reason to see this movie.
1: I was expecting you to say Anton Yelchin as well, right? Is this one of right. his well, final <laughs> I'm f- getting? To oh, it. sorry, I'll shut up now. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay, so
0: Anya Taylor Joy is like she's she's does an impeccable job with the acting, and like I love her. Like she has this gorgeous Hollywood look to her, and the way like the makeup artist for this did an incredible job of just like like painting like using her face as this canvas and. She has all these really classy old Hollywood close-ups, and I'm just like, oh, Anya Taylor-Joy. Like, I love her.
1: Um, (laughs) Me too.
0: And then, yeah, Olivia Cook gives this, like, deadpan, sardonic sociopath performance that's really hilarious. So, I mean, not silly slapstick comedy, but, like, I think people laughed more at this movie than anything else, and it was probably mostly because of Olivia Cook. I loved her. I didn't even know it was her at first because she transformed into the role so much. Um, And then, last but not least, is Anton Yelchin. Um, And this is actually one of two films, at least two, there may have been more, in Sundance that he was in this year, Uh, both posthumous releases. That's how you say that word. I always forget. And uh, this one and Rememory was the other one. And... Mm they were both kind of like character actor parts. I was so surprised because he's definitely a minor part of this film, but like they were kind of like Peter Laurie sort of things. Wow. I was Like this is such like a fascinating direction that his career was taking. Huh. Like I would have, it made me so sad because I was like, I would have loved to see him like do character acting. Yeah. Like, and we got two really good ones in this and Rememory. Um, Yeah, so, anyway, I think because of those three performers, Thoroughbred is worth watching, and I also give it a 9 out of 10, and I say buy it,
1: I'm going to buy
3: it. Yeah, I'm really sad, though.
1: (laughs) I know, that's so heartbreaking to have lost him. It's a 9 out of 10 on Thoroughbred, that's great. And I got to know, Kagan, before you go, because you've done a great job covering all this, but you said that you saw a movie that wasn't horror, but it's in it is now in your top ten films of all time. You got to tell us what that is, because we're all cinephiles here. Yeah, so that movie was called uh, Call Me by Your
0: Name, and it's a it's it's kind of a it's a it's a love story, and it takes place in Italy and uh, in 1983, I think, and it's like two hours and ten minutes, so on the longer side, but. Like, you know how after you watch lots and lots of movies, you kind of get this feeling of like, I don't know if the cinema is ever going to make me feel like pure joy again. Mm -hmm. Like, like really touch me. And this movie, like, it got me in all the right places. And I just felt like rediscovered, like, love and joy and just happiness in cinema. And I know that sounds so corny, but just like, Every moment of watching this movie was like I just felt so happy watching it the whole time. It's totally on the opposite end of the spectrum from horror, but it's just this little story about um two people falling in love and I mean, I'd lie if I say I wasn't like personally connecting to it because it was also it's a gay love story, but like at the same time, most gay love stories are like super tragic and they never work out and Like, everybody dies, and this one, you know, it's just really sweet and tender, and I think everybody should watch it. And and it's not just my own personal connections to the film, because I went and looked at other critic reviews. It's got like a 97 on Metacritic. This thing is incredible. It's pure, beautiful cinema, and it's a 10 out of 10, and in my top 10 now. So nice,
1: man. there you go. Did your husband get to see that one as well, Kagan? Yeah, we
0: watched it together.
1: Did he love it as like as much as you did? Oh yeah, okay. oh yeah, That's
0: and awesome. it was fun because it was um it was the last film we saw in the festival, and at that point in the festival, you're getting like totally burned out. You're like, it's been nine <laughs> days, I've seen so many freaking movies, like I don't even care. Like the first five ten minutes of this thing, it starts up. I'm sitting there like, oh yeah, and then what happened? Uh huh. <laughs> And then it just hooked me, right? And so, for (laughs) a movie to hook me after seeing twenty four others, and just like be the most special, I yeah, I I I have no doubt we'll be hearing about it at award seasons next year.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay, and that's called "Call Me by Your Name" in twenty seventeen. Okay, gotcha. Thanks for telling us about it. Okay, mm-hmm. so anything else, Kagan? By the way, just side note, I don't know how my co-hosts feel about this. I think Kagan has done a fantastic job as our oh, Sundance absolutely. horror correspondent this year. Ab-
2: absolutely.
3: Absolutely, dude. Yeah. Next
2: year, we'll, we'll go with you.
1: Yeah, yeah
3: seriously.
2: Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, man. I would, like yeah. My, I would love to get to
0: Sundance at some point. Doc, you, Doc, you would love it. I feel like I, it I has, would just...
1: You would... You'd just be like a kid in a candy store. You could wear Uh, your Corey (laughs) Feldman shirt, Dave.
0: Uh, Yeah, right.
1: (laughs) It'd be awesome. Okay. So, Kagan, we really appreciate uh, you. Go ahead. What were you saying?
0: Sorry, I was just going to, I wanted to drop three other titles. Not going to say anything about them. Just saying that they're horror adjacent. Uh, Colossal was one that played at Sundance. You mentioned it on the show last week. It has Mm -hmm. Anne Hathaway in it. It's a monster movie, but I was, it was confirmed to a few friends of mine that it is not a horror movie. Um,
3: I was going to mention, I, f- I had forgot to say in my preview that it's a kaiju movie, and I completely spaced mentioning that when I talked about it, I think, so, um, I I don't know, I'm curious, because kaiju sounds like horror, is is enough of a horror for me if it's a monster movie.
1: Well, it's like, okay, is Pacific Rim, well, it has horror, I mean, it's it has got, monsters got, in it. The right?
3: kaiju are. <laughs> yeah, I
1: mean, they're monsters, yeah. I I know what you mean, Okay.
0: Uh, and then another one called Berlin Syndrome. It was marked as a thriller, but I think this audience might be interested in it. Um, and then lastly, one called Walking Out. It's another Jay of the Dead style movie about yes. things going wrong out in the Montana wilderness, <laughs> maybe involving wildlife. Yes. It's not a horror film per se, but it has like aspects of that. And it was in my top five favorite at the festival as well. So Walking Out is one for you too, Jay. So,
1: Oh, I can't wait. I love stuff like that. Okay. (laughs)
0: There you go. And that's all I have to say. So you can finally wrap it up.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, Kagan, you are just, you are extremely valuable to horror movie podcasts in our community. We're grateful for your friendship and support. You do a ton for us. So thanks for your coverage and please let the listeners know where they can catch up with more of your work online.
0: Yeah, so you can find me at keganbreitenbach.com, and if that sounds hard to spell, then just look in the notes for this episode. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> um But if you're a filmmaker and you are working on a project and you have a vision for music, don't hesitate to send me an email. I love hearing about, you know, especially if you're an HMP listener. I'd love to work with anybody in this community, but... Uh, also, if you want to listen to some of my quartet music, you can find it at youtube.com slash quartet macabre. I have some horror covers there and uh, listen to our work at Universal Monsters cast. We're putting in a lot of work on that. And I think listeners, uh, listeners of this show would really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: There's no doubt about that. Yeah. And so if people aren't aware, I mean, the the music at the beginning of this show, our theme music has been enhanced by Kagan's abilities and his skill and he's the real deal people so <laughs> make sure you if you got a project give him a call get in touch with him we'll have his info in the show notes for this episode Okay, Kagan you're the best we appreciate you buddy
0: no thank you HMP is the best damn podcast out there so <laughs> that's all
1: I have to say thank you sir <laughs> mic drop <laughs>
0: okay, boom mic
1: drop. yeah he did it <sighs> All right. It was great to hear from Kagan. We're always thankful when he's on the show. And now let's move into something I've been really intrigued by. Uh, Josh says he has a new horror television show to tell us about. Is that right, Josh?
3: I don't know. We're going to have to let the
1: the listeners be the
3: judge of that. one. we're going to have to see where things go. I've just watched the premiere episode of a new television series. But first I have to tell you a story about a boy named Roberto Aguirre-Sacasa. Okay, Jay?
1: <laughs> okay, I'm ready.
3: This is story time. Settle in. All right? I'm ready. So this young man is uh, a playwright. And early on in life, he decided he was going to put on a play where Archie Andrews of the Archie Comics decided that he would come out as being gay and move to New York City. Wow. And he called his play Mm -hmm. Archie's Weird Fantasy. Okay. And he debuted it at a small theater company in Atlanta, Georgia. And Roberto Aguirre-Sacasa was very quickly sued by Archie Comics. Right. And uh, they threatened litigation and sent him a cease and desist order. And he had to remount the play as Weird Comic Book Fantasy was the name of the play. Okay, that was in 2003. All right.
1: Okay, I'm following.
3: He he moves on in his playwriting career. He becomes very successful. He does a play actually about um, Salem Witch Trials, which was pretty cool. Um, he goes on to write comic books. He writes Superman and Spider-Man. Um, he does Nightcrawler. He, he starts working in film. He writes a screenplay for the remake of the town The dreaded sundown
4: <laughs> He writes
3: a screenplay for the the film carrie the remake of carrie um he starts working in television and he works on television series like glee and big love before working again in kind of the comic book genre on shows like supergirl which is a, a new series that's out and that's quite good my kids are fans of that he becomes just Less than a decade, I believe, after being sued by Archie Comics, the new head of Archie Comics.
1: Oh, no way.
3: (laughs) Yeah. At which time he decides he's going to launch um, in 2013, a series called Afterlife with Archie, which depicts Archie amidst the zombie apocalypse. Whoa. um, And does a run of comic books on that it's now in like the second run of like the next, like he did, like they did the first, like a uh, trade paperback graphic novel version of the first session section. And they're doing like season two now of afterlife with Archie. Mm. He also revamped Sabrina, the teenage witch into extremely gory, creepy witch story called the Chilling adventures of Sabrina. And is doing a comic book series about that as well. Um, And now what we've all been waiting for, Roberto Aguirre-Sacasa has started a new television series called Riverdale, (laughs) which features the characters from the Archie universe in a version of Riverdale that as they pitch it is essentially Twin Peaks.
1: Oh, no. (laughs) Wow. Cool. Okay. All right.
3: Yeah. So this guy has got some serious comic book cred with working on Nightcrawler and Spider-Man. He's got some serious horror movie cred. He wrote Carrie and the Town of the Dreaded Sundown remakes. And he, more impressively than all those, created Afterlife with Archie and The Trillion Adventures of Sabrina, which are seriously, legitimately amazing horror comic books.
1: I, ju- I just want to know why he's so obsessed with Archie. I mean, I don't I don't get the fascination there, but... Well, let's talk
3: about that. Let's talk about that. Because as I started watching the premiere episode of Riverdale, which, by the way, is called The River's Edge, which in itself is a reference to a film where some young kids find a dead body starring Crispin Glover, Keanu Reeves, and a very disturbing Dennis Hopper.
1: I love it. I own that movie, actually.
3: Me too. It's excellent. I'm holding the DVD in my hands right now. Roger Ebert said... A very great film. Cisco Niebuhr gave it two thumbs up. Definitely yeah. check out River's Edge if you're not easily disturbed.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
3: but, you know, kind of along those lines, Dennis Hopper in Blue Velvet, a, Del- a David Lynch film. I was getting some Blue Velvet vibes Interesting. Uh, when I was watching River- Riverdale. And it has, I think Archie is perfect for this kind of thing because it has that American apple pie thing that's going on in blue velvet and twin peaks, but underneath it, there's just something dirty and grimy and awful. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And so Archie's the perfect kind of like face of this cheery American thing. And and it worked so well in the comics with afterlife with Archie. So I guess my question was, are they going to be able to pull off twin peaks? The first sign that I was a little bit worried about was, um, it's on the CW. So yeah, CW, that's not what I was hoping for.
1: (laughs) That gave me pause as well, but I understand that they're, they're late night stuff. That's on like after 11, is it like they, I mean, don't they have some pretty like strong content in terms of like, like R rated level content? Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah. So this episode starts out with a really haunting, beautiful image entering Riverdale and a death on the river in kind of like a mean creek brick kind of style with just the death death that happens at the water
1: oh, i love mean creek too one of my all time faves you know.
3: I do too. Mm-hmm. And then we start meeting all the characters and of course it's the pilot. So we're, we have to meet Archie and we meet Josie and the, Josie and the Pussycats and Betty and Veronica and Jughead and Reggie and all, Moose and all these characters that people would know from like my kids read Archie digest. Okay. Like all of those characters from that world are in this, but this is kind of like a dark, YA version of <laughs> of that stuff. Now I personally am not a YA fan. No. Um and that's the thing. I'm struggling with most while watching the show.
1: But it's so it's, intriguing. Everything you've described so far up to the YA part. I'm just really intrigued. Yeah.
3: Well, let me talk about the YA part a little bit because the other guy who's behind the show comes from he was one of the creators of Green Arrow or Arrow, I suppose it's called, and Flash. Those those television series mm-hmm. and both of those shows particular arrow suffered from like a lot of soap opera stuff at the beginning mm-hmm. it got a little bit better as it went the first season of flash was like this breath of fresh air it's one of the best loved shows it. i've seen on
1: television same watched the whole first season with my son loved it yes
3: love it right but the first season still suffers from a little bit of that ya like romance soap opera stuff a little bit with mostly Literally. with just the one iris character right but she's unbearable in my opinion.
1: <laughs> yes, I totally agree. Yes.
3: But the second season of Flash is all business. It gets into time travel and it's like hardcore science fiction, like like real sci-fi. And there's not... And just awesome Flash superpowers. And there's just way, way, way less of the romance, like YA crud. Cool. And so um highly recommend season two of The Flash. But those same guys who developed that should develop this. So it gives me... Faith that although I may be kind of gagging on some of this YA stuff, they at least are going to deliver on the other stuff that they're bringing to the table. And hopefully that will cool over time, like it did with Flash and Arrow. So uh, I, I'm pretty hopeful. And again, just having read Afterlife with Archie, I'm extremely hopeful. Um, for what this could become. I mean, that those are real horror comics. Uh, mm-hmm. Afterlife with Archie and the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. And they're, they are not shy about saying that Twin Peaks is a big reference for them. And th- there's clearly a murder mystery that is carried through this entire season. And I, I would say that the teen stuff to me feels like kind of like Bring It On or Mean Girls, but with like a very kind of, cool, dark overtone. Like It doesn't have the cheeriness or pep or pop of any of those things. Pep is a funny word when talking about Archie as well. But it has kind of that almost like a Scream Queens version of that, if people are familiar with that show. In fact, I would say if people are fans of Scream Queens, they're going to enjoy Riverdale. Like That's a very similar vibe. But I would just say this is a step cooler, maybe a little bit less horror-specific, but cooler in that weird... Uh, Twin Peaks way so I I mean I'm very very hopeful about Riverdale um, even though I wasn't completely blown away by the uh, premiere episode mostly because Archie is annoying I would say and it's got you know I mean the guy who plays Archie he just doesn't and this is a problem (laughs) in fact with a lot of lead characters is just he is kind of a blank slate okay like surrounded by interesting characters but he himself is not the most interesting character.
1: Oh, that's unfortunate. But, but in terms of like, if you were to like a, a, I'm talking about an MPAA rating, just so I get a sense of if I could try this out with my wife, is this a PG 13 esque or is it, you know, where is it there?
3: It's, I mean, like nothing terribly inappropriate has happened yet on the show. You know, it's just hinting at things to come so far. But, you know, there's kind of like if you remember the closet scene in Teen Wolf where they have to kind of go make out in the closet, there's a scene like that. Yeah. Or, um, you know, there's this and the murder, the, the death at the beginning of the show is very similar to the way that's depicted in like Brick or Mean Creek where it's kind of like very artfully done, I would say. Mm hmm um so yeah i think this is pretty accessible for general audiences i'm hoping it gets less so <laughs>
1: as it goes on
3: right <laughs> like I i'm agree. really have my fingers crossed that this is going to get dark um but yeah as of right now like the second episode you know the first episode was so greatly titled with ri- the river's edge the second episode is called the touch of evil which i really appreciate as well y-
1: yes <laughs> so <laughs> i'm really Orson getting wells Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
3: and other little nods to kind of the ya world that these come from molly ringwald plays archie's mom and luke perry plays archie's dad which they're i mean so far we haven't seen molly ringwald but um, luke perry's awesome in this role he's actually a really good actor i'm surprised like i mostly know him from buffy is like the main thing i've seen him in Uh, buffy the vampire slayer the movie and then, of course, he's in The Fifth Element, but um, I actually really like him as an actor. I wish he did more stuff.
1: But. Okay.
3: Anyway, um, so this is, a, this is a high recommend for me, for people who like this type of television. For horror fans, you may want to wait a couple weeks, and I'll, I'll report back as to how dark this ends up getting, but I do have high hopes um, for this series.
1: Well, the style is very attractive to me. I mean, like, just looking at the the poster art on IMDb, I'm mm-hmm. I'm very intrigued by that and yeah. encouraged. So, even though I'm not much of a TV guy, honestly, I I would be willing to check it out because I love the I love the feeling of it. Like, you know how we we've talked many times now about um, maybe the feeling of the. I guess the sense of community within like um, like a Halloween or within like scream Mm -hmm. where you're like, it'd be neat to go hang out with those people, just not get killed, but it'd be neat (laughs) to be like, like, you know, I think that's really neat. And it sounds like this has a little bit of that.
3: Yeah. They, and they do interesting things. They flip all of our expectations for the characters. And I don't know how familiar you are with the original comics, but it plays with what we think we would know or expect from Veronica and Betty Um, you know, the, the Kevin character is kind of openly gay and they haven't talked about this yet with Jughead, but I guess in the Jughead comics, he's come out as asexual. So that's interesting that he just is kind of not registered as kind of having sexual desire. I don't know if that's going to come out on the show, but it's not, um, it's not your mama's Archie. This is not your, well, no, (laughs) no. Um, and you know, it's not, but at the same time it's not like lewd, I wouldn't say like, there's nothing, you know, like over the top so far. It just, it's hinting at a lot of things that are mature in in nature, Mm -hmm. you know? So I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it. Okay. Yeah.
1: Well, okay. So that's called Riverdale and it's on the CW. And now isn't that also streaming on Amazon if you have like prime, right?
3: Yeah, which is how I watched it because I don't watch regular TV. But um, it, it's a, it costs to watch it on Amazon. Um, it is like a two ninety nine per episode kind of a thing. So,
1: oh okay, uh,
3: yeah, I'm I'm plopping down thirty dollars potentially to watch this on Amazon. Having said that, I'm I'm buying an, ep- an episode at a time right now. So if it doesn't catch me, then I will not continue uh, purchasing the episodes. But,
1: right. Okay. Yeah. All right, so thanks for reviewing Riverdale. And if the listeners have seen this, if you've checked it out so far, let us know in the comments for the show notes for episode 110. And and now we'll move into a little segment I haven't done in quite some time. Jay of the Dead's Beastly Freaks. (laughs) So, Jay of the Dead's Beastly Freaks is my segment for those of you who are new where I review essentially. A creature feature but I call them beastly freaks and I had many other more pressing movies on the list Josh to get to I mean such as um, I've had two films that Jason Dragon sent me and that I've been actually very anxious to see for a long time now and I am gonna be getting to those also some of the highlights of 2016 which I didn't get to watch yet such as The Wailing which I know you love Josh but I I can't help that I'm a mood watcher and like <laughs> I, I've just I've been itching, itching to watch this 2016 film called The Fiance, which is about a woman who is uh, presumably bitten or somehow infected or something by Bigfoot. <laughs> we don't You really, sound
3: kind of unsure of it and you've seen the movie. So this is what I'm. Yes.
1: Yes. Well, uh, exactly. Because let me just tell you. They don't really show you or explain that she was bitten, unless I've just overlooked it and missed it. But by the end of the film, you can deduce that okay, um, this bite from a, a Bigfoot creature can infect you and and make you behave as she does. So, anyways, we we assume that she was bitten or whatever, and that makes her turn into a rabid and ferocious beast beastly freak <laughs> and she tries to eat her boyfriend and so um as the poster art says love hurts right hmm. <laughs> a, um, so so yeah. far josh so far bigfoot movie where bigfoot hmm. can infect a person and this lady tries to eat her boyfriend are you in hmm. so far
3: i'm not sure i, I love Bigfoot as we know, and I don't, I'm, I'm pretty much like most infection stuff.
1: Mm-hmm. Well,
3: and so, but the combination sounds very off-putting to me.
1: Well, I <laughs> let me just tell you, you would not be in for this because when I first heard this premise, I was like, yep, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. Let's do this. And I've been dying to see it because it reminds me so much of that Australian horror film called Primal. That one's from 2010 Dr. Shock and I both love that movie. If people have not seen Primal, make sure you put that on the list. It's about a group of friends who are studying some cave paintings in the outback, and they go for a dip in this little pond, and one of the girls gets infected by, I think it's leeches, and she turns into this savage beast that eats (laughs) or friends. Incredible. I just love that movie, and it does jump scares really well. I know a lot of you are with me out there where you don't like the cheap jump scares every five seconds. This has a lot of jump scares in it, but it's very effective and legitimate, and all this praising I'm doing right now, just to be clear, is for Primal, the Australian film, and not for the fiancé, which is what I'm unfortunately (laughs) mini-reviewing. So...
4: (laughs) so this
1: was my way to call back to primal and tell you to see that and and that's why i was so excited because it sounded so much like primal i was really pumped but and and incidentally by most of the world's standards i'm just going to put this out there primal would probably be like this mediocre b trashy movie but for me it's a highly rated horror flick i think it's like in the eight or nine range for me i forget what i rated it but anyways this movie the fiance josh it has some serious problems, and before the film even starts, okay, when you when you pop it in, you hit play.
3: Well, hold on, let's let's start before even that one. Okay. Look at this poster.
1: Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> okay, explain it to the listeners in case they're There's not looking. A giant
3: it. claw. I would say it looks like a, definitely a beastly freak. I would not say it looks like a bigfoot claw. Probably closer to werewolf maybe yes um and then there's a diamond ring hanging off of one of the bloody claws which just looks so dumb
1: Mm -hmm. yeah that is (laughs) dumb i don't love the poster to be honest with you and um and, and and what's weird let me just tell you right off the bat here i i can't resist since we're on the poster itself it's it's titled the fiance okay well, I'm I'm not trying to be too nitpicky with everybody, but but first of all, um these two, this couple, uh, they're not even engaged yet. So technically, <laughs> they're not betrothed, so they're really not fiancés. Um when when this all happens when she gets infected, he's getting ready to pop the question to her, but he never gets a chance to do that. And so that kind of irritates me. And wouldn't you assume Um, and, and this is, I'm a writer by day. I, I'm, (laughs) that's what I do for my day job. And, and technically fiance with this, with just one E refers to the male who is engaged to be married. And and I really doubt that this film's title is referring to the male because it's the, the female, which is fiance with two E's is the way that's spelled. Um, she is kind of, you know, the attraction here. So that's off too. I'm not trying to be a, a jerk, but they're, well. they're not even engaged. So <laughs> I don't care who they're referring to. They're not even engaged. So that's weird. But no, before the film even starts, just let's just get to this. It opens and I'm like, what the hell is going on? There's this, this CGI rabbit and it's a very rough, rough, very poor, like, you know, first layer CGI. And then, and then, like, you're watching it and it's hopping around, and you're like, okay, is this the, is this a really bad distribution company? And you know how the distribution companies have like a little animation or the production, co- whatever. They'll have this various little ads at the beginning to showcase their company. No, no. Um, all of a sudden, this rabbit is stomped on by a, a Bigfoot foot. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, and so like
3: then, the classic Godzilla, a uh, Bambi, basically.
1: Yeah, yeah, kind of like that. And it says um, and then it has the little title card. It says Bigfoot versus Bunny, round one.
3: Oh, that's they're yeah, they're just they're just <laughs> riffing on Godzilla versus Bambi.
1: I I know, but it just it just I I, I mean, it rubbed me the wrong way because what <laughs> what was next. You know, because that didn't look great, and and maybe you know, obviously these people have a good sense of humor, and I can respect that. But then what? What's next is they start playing the theme music from uh, two thousand one, A Space Odyssey. You know, and it's like if, if you're gonna, you know, you know the one I'm talking about with the horns. Yeah,
3: absolutely, know what you're talking
1: uh, about. Yeah, I mean, it's so iconic, and like if you're gonna conjure, if you're gonna use that on your soundtrack. And, and they, just, they just have it there depicting like they show blood dripping off of a, a leaf in the woods or something. And they only play that for a couple seconds. So um, maybe my first big gripe, I mean those aren't even my big gripes. Maybe my first big gripe is this is um, supposedly a Bigfoot horror movie. And Bigfoot proper, I mean Bigfoot himself, is hardly in it at all. And I will say the creature effects on Bigfoot, they do look okay. Um, it doesn't really look like your traditional Bigfoot, though. It looks more like a big, a really tall, hairy mutant, you know? Mm-hmm. So, it's not it's not like Sasquatch looking, but it's kind of creepy. Um, at one point, though, you do, if you're watching carefully, <laughs> you do get a shot of gigantic Bigfoot gonads. You see his... Yes. Yes, you see his testes, and it's like why uh, uh, well uh, th- there's like a shot through a tunnel or something and you only <laughs> and right at the center of your screen okay the way this is framed it's dead center is like the lower half of his body and you can see the kind of the silhouette of these giant um balls hanging down <laughs> and i'm like okay that's interesting and then <laughs> and <laughs> but no the, the the actual monster of this movie is the girl and, and it's this infection concept where it feels more like a werewolf movie or a zombie movie or, you know, even vampire a little bit. Um, mm. and she still has like 2% of her humanity buried somewhere in there, but she's mostly this mindless raging maniac. And the poster would lead you to believe that she completely transforms into a Bigfoot creature, but that is not the case. She just slightly transforms and honestly, she almost looks possessed more often than not. And, and at one point in the movie, I mean, 98% of the time, like I said, she's crazy, Josh. And then at one point there's like a music box playing and she's like doing ballerina dancing to it. And it's very, I mean, I'm just like, what was the decision making process for this? (laughs) Anyway, um I'm not trying to be brutal and mean, but there's a there's another sub but you are <laughs> but but i am and i and I apologize to the film the the filmmakers probably do not appreciate this, but there's a subplot with these Russian gangsters, and honestly, it doesn't really go anywhere or serve any purpose. It's kind of like um you know a badly done crime film, but I think the only thing it does is to try to show that if the protagonist, which is the groom to be if he's pushed, he can stand up for himself and, um, you know, I guess rise to the occasion. But um, the what bothered me the most probably about this movie is he's kind of at this remote location in the woods. He was go- going there to meet up with his, his girlfriend and to propose to her. Um, you know, she's infected and she starts attacking him. And there are these onslaughts where she'll attack him. And she'll bite something off, like a finger or something of his. And he'll be bloody and hurt. And somehow he gets away from her. And then he just keeps, he starts putting his his appendages that she bites off. He starts putting them in this ice bucket in the freezer. But he stays in the house. And he could drive away. But it's almost like he's too attached to her and he cares for her. And it's so weird, Josh, that this just the whole movie is he's staying in this house and she keeps attacking him. Now, (laughs) if that sounds good to people, I mean, if that sounds intriguing to you, um, trust me, it's not because I was totally in for this. Now, I guess, Josh, if we were going to get really analytical and read into this from like a, you know, a, a real film criticism perspective, you could say that this whole thing is a commentary on the abuse cycle. And and if you were looking at it that way, that would be another matter where, you know, it addresses this theme where, you know, she's trying to, you know, she's the abuser and he just keeps coming back for more and gets hurt worse and worse. And so, yeah, I guess listeners, if there's somebody in your life and you want to try to illustrate to them, maybe if you're trying to intervene and you want to show them this cycle and how, I guess few,
3: this is the film to, to show.
1: Someone? Well, I'm just saying, like, you might be able to, you know, if you're trying to do some kind of intervention, you might be able to like subject them to this, <laughs> and and then say, isn't it weird how he sticks around and keeps coming back for more? And then, you know, you could do a really like weird parallel with somebody. So, in that respect, Josh, if the filmmakers were actually intending to depict you know, some illustration of the abuse cycle, then you could say, okay, you know, I could admire that, but I really doubt that that's what they're going for.
3: Can I tell you, uh, my issues here with this one? Well, yeah,
1: yeah. Keep do it. Let's, let's hear it. I
3: I haven't seen it, but I've just read some of the materials they have online Mm -hmm. and I am really frustrated by just what I've read. Yes. Um, so this film, you know, on IMDB, first of all, they've got this little trivia section. It says, um, it was late at night and the director couldn't sleep. He turned on a radio program discussing Bigfoot. Then they played some recorded Bigfoot sounds. One in particular made his hair stand on end. The next morning, he rolled out of bed and started writing. Six weeks later, the script was locked and he was ready to shoot the film. Like, this is not a Bigfoot fan. And I take so much offense to this as (laughs) a Bigfoot fan myself. Like, I love Bigfoot and I wish there was a great movie and you know we've we've seen now a couple we did our cryptozoological horror episode and we talked about exists and and but it's just offensive to me that this guy's like yeah I heard this radio show and so I felt like I was qualified to write a Bigfoot movie no it's not no more than hearing a radio show about a slasher and deciding you're ready to write a slasher without not without knowing the genre mm-hmm. and you could say well nothing about that story proves he didn't know the genre. And I would say, well, then what about this? There are two user reviews for this film. Mm-hmm. One of them has 10 stars. <laughs> and the one word review or the one line review is a wild ride with three exclamation points, right? Uh huh. There's a little tag here on IMDb that says, see all of my reviews. So I clicked on that. This is their only review. Uh-huh. So I'm suspicious about the person who wrote, this 10-star review with three exclamation points and yet has only reviewed one film on IMDb. Right,
1: right, yes.
3: And this is what this person says. In the 70s, Bigfoot movies were all the rage. Yada, yada, yada. Well, Bigfoot is back. With the current zombie craze and haunted house films, it's cool to see a new take on a classic legend such as Bigfoot. What does that even mean? They're saying (laughs) that piggybacking... The zombie craze in haunted house films, yada, 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 Bigfoot.
1: I I don't see any haunted house parallels in this film unless you just, you, you take that really literally and you're like, okay, he's in this house and there's a monster, uh, you know, harassing and attacking him from time to time. In that case.
3: The final line of this review says, I have never come across a Bigfoot movie that contains suspense spices of humor russian mobsters and a rabid fiance put it all together and enjoy a wild ride
1: <laughs> incorrect
3: <laughs> and i will not do that
1: <laughs> no no and, and let me so i'm not totally gonna rip this movie apart i actually have a couple of um compliments but just a just a couple of more um attacks here like they they have two cops in this film and it reminds me a lot of do you remember in the last house on the left, like the original one, you had those cops who were like the bumbling idiots. Dr. Shock rants sure. about these yeah. guys all the time. Yeah, yeah. Well, you you have basically those kind of cops in this, except they're like sitting there in their patrol car and smoking weed for a long time. And they're just basically high. And I don't know if that's supposed to be funny or what that's supposed to be, but it's pointless. Um, another thing that bothers me a lot about this film is the casting. Um, the 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 male <laughs> uh, boyfriend, I'll say, not fiance, he's this older fellow, uh, an actor named Dallas Valdez, and IMDb does not provide his birthday, but he's got to be in his late 50s, maybe early 60s. Um, I think they were going for a Brian Cranston Breaking Bad type of thing where this guy could be tough and dark if he was pushed but you got him and then you've got this really young and beautiful um lady and she's only 36 when she filmed this about that age and she looks 24 josh she looks really young and she's pretty but honestly you don't see her as the pretty version of her very much you you see her as like this crazy version but uh what'd you say I said, oh, right. Yeah, it's it's awful. Let me give you one dialogue sample and then keep on moving here. So they see these people are going through the woods and they see a huge Bigfoot footprint. And they say, quote, I guess now we know why they call it Bigfoot. <laughs> In this movie, I won't spoil the yeah. ending, but I will tell you, it actually ends on a freeze <laughs> frame, which is, um you know, kind of an old school method. But anyway, the things I do like, it did take me about 45 minutes to really get what they were doing. They're trying to do this pretty bloody. It's very bloody, very violent. There's some gore in it. They they try to go for it with some gross scenes. And there's a one painful scene that involves a big toe that actually made me wince. Um, so I kind of liked where they were trying to go with the, the gore and violence. And then there, there are radio show hosts. You mentioned the the trivia about him hearing the radio program well they they have these hosts in the beginning of the film talking about bigfoot stuff and it's okay they're they're borderline obnoxious but then at the end toward the end they come back into the film and they're super obnoxious over the top it's rough if you end up watching this movie um then if you stay through the credits it'll give you a little bit more and then it gives you more of the animated rabbit and then it gives you a stinger at the end with the The high cops, the stoned cops, (laughs) but I'm telling you right now, the, the fiance is a four out of 10. This is an avoid. And even if you are a very forgiving beastly freaks fan, this is, uh, it's very off putting to me and I think it will be to you too. So there you have it, Josh. Are you going to check out the fiance? (laughs)
3: No, but you, you know, I did look up the people who did the special effects makeup because you said that that was pretty good. Mm -hmm. And uh, I see that Michelle Safarzo, probably not pronouncing her name correctly, has done a huge amount of work. Mm -hmm. and So I'm interested in her. Um, Mm -hmm. One of the films that she worked on was a film that a lot of our listeners were talking about last year called The Greasy Strangler. Oh, yeah. Which is supposedly disgusting, but, you know, the makeup effects were apparently effective there. So mm-hmm. she also worked on The Love Witch, which is one that that I enjoyed last year. Mm-hmm. So um, sounds like she's doing good work, at least.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's not bad but in this movie.
3: Congratulations but... to her.
1: <laughs> yeah, there you have it. Okay. And um, I'm excited now. We're also you know we haven't had this in a while either we also have um another special segment tonight
3: all right this is some screaming online Thanks again to Kagan Breitenbach, who you may have heard of his name mentioned before on the show, <laughs> um, who did the music for this segment. Um, I'm going to review two films that are streaming on Netflix. They are technically Netflix originals uh, now, but they, you know they were both, I think, acquired by Netflix. But whatever, that's that's uh, they're available only on Netflix, and so Netflix exclusives. And these are both horror films from 2016 that I had hoped to review in 2016. We just had so much coverage, I couldn't get to them until now. Um, I'm excited to talk about them, though. They're both (laughs) interesting movies and two that were in contention for my list at some point for last year. Not my top 10, probably, but definitely like my top 30. So uh, the first I want to talk about is a film directed by Oz Perkins. And it is called, I am the pretty thing that lives in the house.
1: (laughs) That's such a creepy title.
3: It really is. And Oz Perkins is someone who has done quite a bit of work um, as an actor, but someone you probably wouldn't recognize as just kind of a character actor, Um, has done a little more work as a writer and the least amount as a director, but His first film, Black Coat Daughter, The Black Coat's Daughter, is a film that has come out in the UK and other areas, but has not yet been released in the United States. But our listeners who have seen it love it. Um, I Am the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House is his second film, but it came out in 2016 already. And from what I understand, uh, The Black Coat's Daughter has some serious kind of gore and things in it. This one does not. This is um, more psychological in nature. It is, I would call it a paranormal film, but it's a film that plays with your perceptions of reality and time and is kind of disorienting in a good way. Um, this is not probably for someone like a Jay of the dead, I would guess.
4: <laughs> this is a
3: slow burn film that is all about the tone, the mood, the... Um, It's a mood piece, probably more than anything else. I really, really enjoyed myself watching this film, but I know that we have listeners who are very split on this. Some of our listeners really, really loved it. Others, like Juan, I believe, uh, most notably, just despised this film. I think Sal despised this film. But others, um, I don't want to guess incorrectly, but I think it was like, um, maybe Michelle... And projectile varmint. I think that they like this. I don't know. I probably shouldn't guess since I'm not sure. <laughs> but I, but I just know that our listeners were split on it. And I, I don't think this is for everyone. If you really feel like resolution is important to you at the end of a story, if you really feel like knowing where you are at all times is really important to you, then this is probably not a movie for you. I think for people who are okay, just kind of going on an experiential ride and um, and kind of feeling like you're living in a place with a character and, and experiencing things through their eyes, then this is one worth checking out. You know, I, I was hard on The Neon Demon last year for doing something very similar to this. I would say this film is even less um, structured in a, in a way that is kind of like fulfilling to an audience. This has even less viscera than... The Neon Demon and less traditional horror uh, or kind of, I don't know, I guess it is classic horror because it's paranormal and supernatural, but it's less what maybe a, a typical horror fan would expect to see in a horror film.
1: So it sounds like this is really about atmosphere and tone. It's absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. But what I think that
3: it delivers on is exactly that. And it was just, it's so well done in my opinion that it's just a, a great um yeah atmospheric mood piece i was vibing with i am the pretty thing that lives in the house so mm. um i am encouraged though that the black coat's daughter goes further with kind of the violence and and visceral horror so I, I feel like i would really i don't think i could watch two of these films i liked this one but i'm looking forward to his next film and. And I know he can go there because he also wrote The Girl in the Photographs, which is that slasher that I reviewed that was um, yes. Wes Craven's last produced film. So he's done things that are overtly horror in the past, and this just happens to not be that. So uh, I, I, this is not a recommendation for you, Jason, but <laughs> I think I think some people will like this and Um, and I, am greatly looking forward to the black coats daughter.
1: Yeah. Well, what's interesting about this is, um, earlier this evening when Kagan mentioned, I don't feel at home in this world anymore. It reminded me of this title. I am the pretty thing that lives in the house. (laughs) Like a, these are some interesting lengthy titles. So, and the
3: girl in the photographs was the other film I was always mixing this up with before I'd seen them. Yeah. Turns out same screenwriter.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Okay, what do you rate this one then?
3: I'm gonna give this one an eight. It's not going to feel like that for a large number of audience members. I just you know it's it's really an art house film, so on that scale it's to me it's accomplishing everything it's trying to accomplish. And I enjoyed the f- the feeling of this film. Not everyone will, and I'm okay with that, but yeah, for me this is an eight, and I say it's it's a stream it. it's a one time watch for me it's on Netflix. If you like art films, if you like mood pieces, if you like atmosphere and tone, but you don't necessarily care about plot or, you know, resolution, then this is the one for
1: you. Okay. Yeah. That's, I am the pretty thing that lives in the house. Excellent. And you have another one, don't you, Josh? My second screaming
3: online recommendation this evening Uh, is another Netflix original. This one is written and directed by Chris Sparling. And we've talked about Chris recently on the show, on our Christmas episode, when you reviewed ATM, Chris is Mm -hmm. the writer of ATM. He is the writer director of the Atticus Institute. He is the writer of buried with Ryan Reynolds. One film that takes place completely completely in a coffin essentially in a box
1: <laughs> yes it brand. does love it
3: and um he also wrote the drama the sea of trees with matthew mcconaughey which i did not see and uh, your girl uh, naomi watts mm. but mercy is his third directorial effort and it was a, a netflix acquisition and it is a kind of totally unique take on a home invasion film i've never seen Mm. home invasion handled in this way the film is shot or at least presented i should say in a non-linear format and i think some people will really appreciate that i think it may frustrate some viewers the way that it's constructed um i liked it it was interesting enough um I liked the performances here. I liked the story. It's something that keeps you guessing. Uh, right off the bat. The way that the dialogue is kind of presented, you know that there's something going on here. That's not what you expect is mm-hmm. that because the characters tell other characters that constantly, whatever you think is going on here, you're wrong. <laughs> and so I was really enjoying that kind of uh, the way that the writer was playing with us as audience members. Um, they don't disappoint and it was enough that like it was a kind of just this clever take on home invasion that I hadn't quite seen before at the midway point though, it completely shifts gears and becomes something that I had no idea where it was going for a long while. And I, although it was super interesting and I liked it and I could even see it coming up on a themed episode in the future, I didn't like it as much as what I thought was going on before that. It's still fascinating. And that's kind of when the nonlinear stuff really kicks in and you start seeing other sides of the story that you hadn't previously seen. And so it's giving you new perspective on what has taken place. Uh, that was interesting and it was clever. And then it's a film that keeps you guessing till the end. I wished it hadn't kept, I wish it hadn't, uh, played with my expectations at the very very end I would say I was disappointed by that however and this is all non-spoiler I went back and rewatched probably the first 20 minutes of this movie directly after finishing it to mm-hmm. kind of see how this new information mm. might change my viewing experience and it was it was very it's very cleverly written like wow every line has a dual meaning it's kind of like almost like the sixth sense when you watch it the second time you start seeing things that were always there, but you didn't notice. This is not, I wouldn't say this is quite as clever as the sixth sense, which I think is a masterpiece, but I do think, but it definitely works uh, as a film that's told in kind of this mysterious nonlinear format with twists that when you kind of, uh, reevaluate what you've seen, the screenwriter has done all of the legwork to make sure that it makes sense. Kind of, uh, it holds up to scrutiny in that way. So um, it's, it felt very violent, but as I think back about it, I think much of that violence was off screen. There is some um, in your face, but it's not very bloody gory. There's some very scary scenes that take place in kind of this um, home invasion style. The, there are some masked intruders in this film that are just wearing just a very basic plain ski mask. Mm-hmm. But um, the way that those continue to be revealed throughout the film like sc- scared me more and more each time. <laughs> I was like, oh, crud. Um, so there's some fun <laughs> things here. It's uh, listed on IMDb. I'm looking at it as a drama mystery thriller. I think it's definitely a horror movie to me. As well, I don't know why they wouldn't list it as a horror film, but mm-hmm. um, it it is. I would say something like the Good Neighbor, where it's trying to function beyond the genre and have an emotional payoff as a drama film that is actually like kind of you know that, it, which I I'm beginning to appreciate more and more. Something that I used to want, like just be full blown horror film, I'm starting to really appreciate films that are like look we are horror films, but we're also legitimate cinema that you can defend to people who think horror is crap. (laughs) Like I'm starting to really appreciate people who can deliver on just making a great movie as well. So uh, that's what I think mercy is. Um, It's very, very enjoyable. I'm going to give it an eight. I'm going to say rent it. it is streaming on Netflix. It's the only place you can see it anyway. So um, it's a recommended stream.
1: Okay. Yeah. I guess I, I, I almost watched that one last night instead of the fiance. I wish I had watched mercy instead. So, I
3: mean, I, it's almost certainly better than the fiance, but, um, <laughs> yeah. And I think it's definitely more your style than I am the pretty thing that lives in the house.
1: Okay. But
3: it's, it, I think you might, I don't know. I, I, she's, I, I really cannot guess where you're going to fall on a film anymore, <laughs> but, uh, I think you might appreciate some of the survival aspects of it.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: The way the film twists and turns, uh, I didn't find particularly fulfilling by the end. I'm really curious to hear what other people think. So if you guys have seen mercy, please let us know what you thought of the film and especially how it all wraps up. I do like that. it like plays with my expectations, but I uh, and that, you know, and then the, the it's not obvious. I like I like that it's all there, but it's not obvious. That's cool. Yes. But it's it all, but it did feel like a bit much. It's like it, it could have succeeded as just a simple film. And I'm curious. You've talked about ATM on the show, but I still haven't seen it. Um, did you think ATM is overcomplicated or is it pretty straightforward?
1: It's pretty straightforward as far as that goes. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I, I felt like Buried was too, and I wish this was just a little more straightforward.
1: I hmm. guess. But okay. I
3: but I liked it. I liked. It.
1: That's great. So that one's called Mercy. It's streaming on Netflix. Josh gives it an eight out of ten and says, "Stream it." And now, at this point in episode 110 of Horror Movie Podcast, Josh, we're going to do something very interesting. We're going to cut to my future self for my (laughs) future review of Rings. Ooh!
4: Come on, we got to get up.
1: I keep thinking about this story. There's this video that kills you seven days after you watch it. The second it's over, the phone rings. And this voice says, Seven
4: days. That's when she's coming for me.
1: Okay, as promised, Jay of the Dead here with a feature review of Rings, the new horror sequel directed by F. Javier Gutierrez. Now, before I get into that, I was sitting in the theater on Friday, literally like one minute away from this movie starting, when I got a text from Dino, who asked, when are you seeing Rings? And it was the weirdest timing, because it was like right at that moment, I was about to see it, and it was like I watched a uh, tape And then Dino texted me immediately afterward and said, seven days. (laughs) So next Friday at 2.10 p.m., Dino will be coming to get me. Anyways, I'm fooling around with all this stuff because I'm putting off doing this review because I have no desire to talk about this movie. But if you're new listening to Horror Movie Podcast, I'm not going to go into any spoilers for Rings. If we ever do go into spoilers, we always give you a warning first, but... Right off the bat, here at the beginning, there's been a lot of confusion about this film, whether it is a sequel or a prequel, and having seen the film, I can understand the ambiguity. It is a sequel, but it's a retcon of a lot of Samara's backstory, so we learn more about her origin story, but the events that happen in the film don't take place before the ring from 2002. At least that's my understanding of it. Because to me, a prequel is a movie whose entirety of the events happen chronologically on the timeline before the events of the primary film, okay? And this is different from that. And I'm sure everybody's familiar with the term retcon by now, but in case you're not, that's a term that originated in the early 80s, and the phrase is retroactive continuity. But it's been shortened to retcon, and it refers to later revisions of an already established story element. Now, writers tend to do this in order to make their newer works fit in with the old mythology, and in almost every case, I don't really respect retconning. But in our post-movie texting conversation, I think Dino put it best when he wrote, and I quote, (laughs) "...with The Ring being such a beautiful work of filmmaking and storytelling, it's a shame that such a crappy sequel exists. It takes a giant dump on the great mythology laid out in the first film." Okay. Very colorful way of describing it, but Dino's right, and more on that in a moment. I want to come back around to this whole backstory element, and I'm not going to tell you what the backstory is, of course, but the premise of this film, which is Samara's retconned backstory mystery, is just problematic altogether. But speaking of the premise, let's talk about that real fast. So, with rings, it's about a girl named Julia, and when Julia's boyfriend Holt goes away to college, he quickly becomes mixed up in something bizarre. And so, Julia is concerned for him and finds out that he has viewed Samara's fatal video. And of course, Julia, Holt, and others are trying to figure out how to overcome Samara's seven-day death sentence. And in the process, as I mentioned, we learn more about the history of Samara. Now, Rings stars Matilda Anna Ingrid Lutz as Julia and Alex Rowe as Holt, And it has a couple of stars that you'll definitely recognize, such as Johnny Galecki of The Big Bang Theory fame. He's actually pretty good in this. And it also stars Vincent D'Onofrio. Now, from the very beginning, it opens like the curtain raiser before the title card. It takes place on an airplane, a commercial airliner, and it reminds me a lot of uh, Final Destination for some reason. And honestly, it's just an opening of the film, something that... Horror films often do where they'll give you some sort of action beat up front or a horror beat to show you that, yes, this is a horror movie, but then we have to do a lot of exposition and setup to get to the horror later on. That's exactly what this is. Honestly, the opening doesn't have a huge role in the rest of the film. And I was wondering, watching this movie, if there was going to be an update of technology because, as you know, the uh, Fatal Video has been a VHS, (laughs) so they still have the VHS element in a little bit of this movie, but they also have updated the technology, which is very interesting because it's cool to see the ring video in a higher format, (laughs) better quality. (laughs) So if you're going to die, you can die in HD, and that's always nice. Now, I will say, as critical as I am of this film, and as much as I didn't like it, there is one good scene, or I actually, it's a, it's a great scene, to be honest, and it involves Samara and a flat screen television, speaking of updated technology, and I love this whole sequence, and it's punctuated by a very effective scare, and honestly, I wish it had been in another movie, or in a better movie, because... It's deserving. I mean, it's great work, this sequence. So, if you're going to see the film, honestly, for Ring fans, it's worth seeing the film just to see this one sequence. I don't want to overhype it. Maybe just everything else that surrounded it, it was so underwhelming for me that I just particularly enjoyed it, but it is extremely well done. But back to the part of the matter here, and that's really the main problem, which is turning the lights on on your monster, or taking the mask off your monster, or defining your monster. I mean, we all know that what makes things scary so much of the time is when it's a mystery the unknown is scary but if you explain away your monster it doesn't become a monster anymore it, it becomes something that is of our world of of our natural world that we we become familiar with but the reason monsters are scary is because they are otherworldly they are unnatural and they are unfamiliar and so if you show it to us if you give it to us you explain it to us then it gives it form it gives it parameters and it's just no longer as scary. And so honestly, all of this retconning, filling in more of Samara's backstory and her origins and so forth, just really undercuts what's most powerful about this film. And that is the freaking scary ghost monster Samara. Okay. So anyways, in conclusion, I mean, I can't really talk about a whole lot of other aspects of this film without getting into spoilers and so maybe at some point when the other guys when wolfman josh and dr shock when they've seen this movie maybe we'll do a spoiler discussion someday but to quote one more time from dino as a wrap up here dino said it was done well enough from a technical standpoint which i totally agree But he says the story was completely pointless and stupid. (laughs) And yes, I I texted Dino as soon as it was over. And I said, my great granny used to say, if you're going to do a sequel, you better have a good story. And uh, that's the truth. And I just don't think that there was sufficiently worthy material here to carry on. I mean, this almost feels like more of a cash grab. I'm not saying that there weren't some elements of it that were good. Like I said, that flat screen television sequence is good. And technically speaking... I mean, the film is proficient, to be sure, but the story is extremely problematic. So we've got another PG-13 supernatural horror film in the theaters, and I'm not being crusty about it, Kagan, because yes, even though supernatural films are not my favorite, I love The Ring from 2002, and that's supernatural, and I think it's freaking scary, and it's PG-13, by the way. I honestly don't remember The Ring 2 very well, except that I didn't love it. I only saw it that one time when it was released back in 2005. But anyway, as far as rings goes, I felt very bored and tired by this. I mean, I just felt just I couldn't wait for it to be over, to be honest with you. They explain away the monster. They defang her, and with all this retconning and backstory stuff, I mean, this movie has no reason to exist, really. It has the one good sequence, and that's it, so as for me, Rings is a 4 out of 10, and I say avoid it, and if you're a fan of The Ring and you think you'll be too heartbroken by being disappointed by this, as Dino was, then perhaps you could YouTube the flat screen TV sequence one day. Otherwise, it's my feature review of Rings. Let us know in the show notes for this episode what you thought of it. Be interested in reading that. And, uh, and let's go back to the show. We got more for you here with Wolfman Josh and Jay of the Dead.
0: Hey, everybody. This is Ryan from Geek Cast Live. And you're listening to Horror Movie Podcast, where we are dead serious about horror movies.
1: Okay, Josh, so we're back and um, in the past again, and I wonder what I thought of rings. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> it's weird because the listeners just heard that, and they know what I thought. Anyways. You're um,
3: not even going to see it for two more days <laughs> as we record
1: this. I'm exactly right. But it is Groundhog Day. Um, right now as we're recording February (laughs) 2nd and so it does kind of feel like we've been doing this uh, for many days
3: (laughs) although the clock just rolled over into Groundhog Day so much like Bill Murray we also we don't know what's going to happen yet we don't know even whether or not the Groundhog will see its shadow that's right when when the light comes up
1: that's right yeah this reminds me of that trailer for Before I Fall which is coming out this year and it's a ripoff of Groundhog Day and the like but anyways alright we got some uh, listener feedback here Josh we're always grateful when the listeners write to a, to us and so I hope people don't mind if we just um, squeeze a couple of these in here real quick I know we've been doing long episodes lately but we just can't help ourselves right Josh
3: <laughs> we're trying to do them short that's the crazy thing
1: I know we really are but here we go this comes from uh, uh, Victor and this is a uh, what we call a campfire tale <laughs> right he says Dear Jay of the Dead, Wolfman Josh mentioned on the show how he likes to watch films with the same theme as a vacation destination, and my wife Nancy and I do the very same thing. We mostly pair up a meal or a place with a film's time of year or where it was shot. We watch Die Hard on Christmas Eve and The Burning the last time we went camping. This is our kind of family, huh, Josh? Absolutely. Yeah, we love people like this. Nice job, Victor. Anyway, he says, it's not much trouble to pack a portable DVD player and a couple of movies when we take some time off. This has had a few unplanned but pleasant side effects, like the preferential treatment we got from Italian airport security once they discovered we were carrying a copy of The Godfather. (laughs) Well, I'm surprised by that. Um, Toward the end of that same trip, we were steaming back to Rome by cruise ship in rough seas and I jokingly whipped out a copy of The Poseidon Adventure
4: <laughs>
1: Ooh. Well, um, I don't know if he's going to get into it here but for those who don't know by the way I love that I, I love the original I actually prefer it over the remake called Poseidon but basically it's about a it's a disaster movie about a bunch of people on a big ship that gets flipped <laughs> upside down in the sea yeah and they have to crawl through the ship and it's incredible i just love it so victor you're singing my song right now brother so anyway he says we watched it in our cabin and had a few laughs in the face of danger but little did we know the joke would soon be on us (laughs) i'm loving where this is going josh we were startled awake in the middle of the night by a bone jarring crash followed immediately by all the lights and the ship going dark i went into survival mode shot out of bed and started to get dressed. We were just about ready to get into our orange life jackets, but then the captain's voice came in on the intercom telling us we would not need to evacuate, that everything was under control. Frightened passengers who had been gathering in the emergency lit hallways went pair by pair back into their cabins for the night. The next... (laughs) I am loving this. The next morning we noticed two things. Well, first, side note, Josh, sorry. Side. Have you been on a, a cruise ship before, Josh?
3: I have, yeah.
1: Yes, I have. It, and I have too, and it is remarkable how small those rooms are, at least for me, for steer, yeah. steerage passengers like myself. And, and, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I'm like, I would not, and, and they're underwater too, by the way, and I would not want to <laughs> sink in one of those or go upside down. Anyways, he continues. Um, the next morning we noticed two things. The cruise ship was tilted about 20 degrees toward the sea on the starboard side What? and was moving very slowly. When we disembarked, we looked up and saw a massive hole in the bow where the multi-ton anchor had broken loose and smashed back into the ship due to an encounter with an unexpected rogue wave, we were told, apparently, which by the way... For people who don't know, in the Poseidon adventure, it was a gigantic wave that flipped the boat over upside down. <laughs> That's incredible, Victor. I love you. He says, Apparently, this is what sounded the crash, killed the lights, and took out one of the ship's stabilizers. Everyone piled into the buses at port, and we headed back to Rome a day later than planned. Our bus was loud with chatter about the event, but Nancy and I were spooked into relative silence by having recently seen the film it was just a little too easy for us to imagine how close to the poseidon adventure our vacation had come by the way a word to the wise always buffer a cruise vacation by an extra day the sea is unpredictable and you don't want to be stuck trying to reschedule your flight if your ship gets into port a day later than expected keep the vacation stories and great podcasts coming Best Victor Rodriguez from Seattle, Washington. Nice. And, and he gave us permission to use this on the air. So thank you, Victor. That was an exceptional story.
3: Awesome. Yeah, that was crazy. I, what I would say is, at least you guys were prepared for what was about to go down.
1: <laughs> Seriously. Victor, you already knew how to climb through a, a cruise ship upside down on the ceiling
3: all the tricks and tips and you can just climb over <laughs> all their bodies on your way to fr- safety
1: that's right yeah i mean ah, man i love the poseidon adventure that is a great film i don't know i phew, i don't know if i'd have had courage to watch that on the ship <laughs> that <would> be, <laughs> that's almost like one of our uh dead serious horror challenges right josh
3: it absolutely is yeah that's a great dead serious horror challenge now my question is jay and again this is a question from the future did you play the typical campfire sound effects underneath that story or did you opt for a creaky boat with splashing sea sounds
1: That's i do I want i, I did a uh, creaky boat with sea sounds so i hope people aren't seasick having motion sickness <laughs> listening to this podcast <laughs> but uh if you threw up listening to this podcast um let us know
3: I hope there were some seagull sounds occasionally.
1: Yeah, maybe maybe a couple. Well, that'd be great, though. If people were throwing up listening to this podcast, they could do what they do like with you know all the hype they do for those films. <laughs> Horror movie podcasts. People were even throwing up listening to it. That would be hilarious.
3: Like advertising the show. In fact, that reminds me of uh, something that Cake Wolf tweeted at us a little while back, which I thought was... Maybe the best ad I'd ever heard for a horror movie podcast. And I wasn't planning on reading this right now, but now I have to go try to find it because do it. I thought it was so perfect. I have to um, search back through our tweets and see if I can find this thing.
1: Well, I love um, stealing people's uh, catchphrases for the podcast. Like, for example, stole Bill Shetty's description of us where he said, we reviewed the hell out of horror movies. I thought that was, that was a great <laughs> one. I love that one.
3: Cake Wolf's tweet says, What is a diabolic? Alternatives to running up the stairs? And can a Mormon enjoy the exorcist? HMP is horror 101 and beyond.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Cake Wolf, brilliant. I love it. Speaking of brilliance, Wolfman Josh,
4: mm-hmm.
1: we got a response to our split review. In our previous episode, we reviewed M. Night Shyamalan's split. And... Yeah. Uh, This is such an insightful and intelligent response. I love this email. This comes from, we'll call the person James, because he wished to remain anonymous. It says, Jay and Josh, thanks for emphasizing that people with DID, which is a dissociative identity disorder, are victims. Someone close to me, not me in case you're wondering, lives with DID. We have talked on several occasions about the movie Split and whether to see it or not. There have been a whole slew of movies that use DID as a premise for the antagonist and get it completely wrong. Four easy examples Identity, Fight Club, Never Talk to Strangers, and Primal Fear. Mm. Interestingly, Rebecca De Mornay is in two of these, but that's less the point than that these movies screw it up big time.
3: Well Thank- Edward Norton is in two of them too.
1: Yes, indeed. Indeed he is. <laughs> Correct. It says, things to know about DID. Number one, most people at DID are not obvious about it in public. You will never know they are DID if you don't know them very well. Alters slash personalities form as a defense against or to handle the horrors they've experienced, and it begins in toddlerhood. All this is to say that they're They aren't doing their jobs, quote unquote, if anyone knows their DID. Switches happen, and unless you know what you're seeing, it looks more like a mood change than anything else. Yeah. That's why it goes undiagnosed and is disbelieved by the general population of shrinks out there. Number two, people with DID are more scared of you than you are of them. Even if they do something mean or dangerous, it's a self-protective measure They don't go out looking to mess with anyone unless they feel very, very threatened. And usually, not even then, because exposure is always a danger. Hence, Split worries me because this character seems to be a threat to these girls for no reason. I haven't seen it, so I'm not sure. Number three, the abusers...
3: I have to think about that for one second.
1: Yeah, go ahead. Is that
3: correct? That he is a threat to them for no reason?
1: Well, he, the character, he gives a, a re- he gives a reason, but yeah. is it, is it legitimate in some way? <laughs> no.
3: Yeah. Well, it's kind of a fantasy premise. Yes.
1: I would say, so. Well, well, of course it, yeah, obviously yeah. it is fiction for certain, but, um, but yeah, what one could argue and, and we're, we're dancing around the film plot here, but one could argue that, you know, he has reasons, um, he has his reasons that kind of celebrate who he yeah. is and his condition. So yeah. there you have it. So number three, the abusers of someone who, who lives with DID are far more dangerous than the DID victim is because of what it took to cause it in the first place. It arises from sexual violence and or syst- systematic sadistic abuse that goes on for an extended period of time. Anyone who could do that should be the subject of a horror movie with the sufferer of the DID as the victim or hero slash heroine of the story. Because number four, above all else, sufferers should be applauded for surviving what might drive others to suicide. The strength and intelligence it took to get through those experiences should never be underestimated. The necessity of forming altars implies an incredible level of strength of heart and counterintuitively mind Because the truth is that D.I.D. is not the problem. It is a solution. That's profound right there, James.
3: Yeah, and I would say to James, um, I think James McAvoy's character and to some extent Betty Buckley's character are advocates for this point of view on D.I.D.
1: Yes, yes. So You might find that interesting about the film. I don't know if
3: I'd recommend it to your friend, to uh, see it until after you have it maybe you could be a pre-screener right have a chance to see it because i there have certainly been people um in the mental health community that have said that they are fear that this film will exacerbate symptoms for someone suffering from did and be a negative experience and we would hate for that to happen to anyone so well,
1: yeah that's that's maybe help, sure.
3: maybe help your buddy out and and the uh, pre-screening for them but um but I think although again we talked about this in our review although these this character is the antagonist their perspective on it kind of mirrors uh, your own to some degree it sounds like yes I'll also say I don't know if I said this during our review but Betty Buckley the actress who plays the psychiatrist in the film she has said that she studied um, and 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 was um, advised by kind of an expert in the field mm-hmm. um, and that she wanted to talk to a, th- a real therapist, have them go through the script with her, talk to her about, you know, her motivations and how she would handle the situation. Not so much whether or not, you know, this was real, whether it existed and everything like that, but how she would appropriately act as a therapist kind of in the situation. And um, mm-hmm.
1: And I found that to be interesting. It it is interesting because, um, you know, again, without going into spoilers, I wouldn't say she always acts appropriately for a therapist, but
3: But she had to find motivations that were believable to her. Right. Um, So she talked to a real therapist kind of about what would get her to that point where she was doing what she does.
1: Right. Yeah. And a side note too, for James, which is probably totally obvious from the trailer. Um, Having said everything we've said about the perspective and the point of view um, of of this character, he is still the monster of the film, quote unquote, yeah. right?
3: It's a horror movie.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. So anyways, um, just to finish here, it says the problem is slash was the abuse and to make a movie exploiting the solution as a scary part distorts the issue unfairly, regardless of the level of empathy the antagonist might engender. Ram. The movie The Last King of Scotland engenders an enormous level of empathy for Eddie Amon, but he was still a genocidal monster. Interesting that this also has James McAvoy in it. Having people who have sympathy for a DID person still leaves them on the hook of misconception that they didn't ask for and don't want. There you go. James, thank you for that comment. I thought it was extremely insightful and
3: Absolutely, James. amazing. And I don't I know that you uh didn't necessarily want to go on the record but we have talked about you know about doing a potential show about disability and how that's handled in horror and have talked about potentially talking to Andre about that as someone who is blind and studies this uh topic mm-hmm. i don't know if james that's something you consider doing or if you could put us in touch with someone that might be interested in that discussion but you seem like a pretty intelligent person, and it seems like uh, you might offer a unique perspective on um, if we did discuss this in the future.
1: That's right, and you could just go under the handle of James when you come on yeah. the show. So just let us know if you'd be willing, and thanks again for your excellent comment. Now, I believe, Josh, you had some comments from Twitter relating to...
3: Well, yeah, we've, this is a bit of an aside, I suppose. This was a bit of a, a deviation from reviewing horror films <laughs> and mm-hmm. we had a comment on that, right? So okay. I just wanted to read this comment from Tom, AKA at brains for the pain on Twitter. It says, I finally watched the new ghostbusters movie previously, I skipped that HMP episode. So today I listened, I enjoyed it so much. I truly love HMP and all of you guys. Though, after the Lights Out review on that episode, Jay of the Dead read an email about criticism and the topics that Jay brings up to discuss, like Pokemon Go, racism, religion, <laughs> consumerism, etc. Now, I, this is Josh speaking. I don't want to, you know, we did discuss this already. Um, our listener, Josh, well, you know, had some constructive criticism. criticism. He was very constructive. Mm-hmm. And we addressed that, and this is in no way... Uh, trying to attack Josh for his very uh, you know well uh, constructed c- criticisms for us.
1: Yes, Josh was awesome in that exchange and very respectful. Yeah. So, props to Josh. I hope he's still listening out there. I hope so too.
3: <laughs> However, Tom does not share <laughs> feelings for Josh. I have to admit, I love the side discussions. I believe it's all still very relevant to the topics being discussed. They're intelligent and insightful and can give a whole different perspective on a film. I could possibly, It could possibly change the way you watch a movie, especially one you didn't initially enjoy. I found that crit- criticism to be a tad ignorant, but everyone is entitled to their own opinion. I just felt like I had to get Jay's back. Reassure the cast <laughs> that not all of the HMP fans agree with that guy's criticism. It's great that Jay and Wolfman Josh can laugh about it, but I, for one, felt offended. I know it's ridiculous. You guys do so much, and finding your show has filled a little empty spot in my life. It sounds corny, but like most of us in the horror world, I have no horror fan friends. None like me, at least. Okay, I'm ending this. Sorry for the long message. Thanks again to the whole HMP cast. I'll listen to anything involving you gentlemen. And Jay is never preachy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Wow, thanks, Tom. That's humbling, and and we are your friends, all of us, and, including uh, that Josh guy that you just yeah. this called out there. But but I think Josh is still <laughs> your buddy too, right, Josh? <laughs>
3: I hope Josh is still listening. Have you heard from Josh since we uh, addressed his comments on
1: there? You know, I don't believe so. But he was he was fine after you know after those episodes and everything and. You know, he was, he was very gracious with us. Let me just say that. And so I appreciate and respect that guy too. So thanks both to Tom and Josh. We appreciate you. All right. You know who else I appreciate Wolfman? Let me just say, we get, we get some, a lot of great email from Bill who's east of Toronto. And I just want to say to Bill here directly. Thank you so much for sending it. We love it. And he's always like, he's almost apologetic sometimes about like, you know, driving us crazy or bothering us. Write as much as you want, Bill. We really appreciate it. Thank you. And, and just to show how much, here's one that I really, I, I particularly liked. He says, um, the subject was show ideas. So he's got an episode idea for us. He says, I was going through my movie collection the other day and thought of a possible show idea for the future. Movies that have been overlooked or have not been given the love so many others have in the past. I was thinking about movies that do not have to be low budget, but seem to get overlooked or perhaps are older. And so they don't get mentioned when certain quote unquote classics are talked about. For example, I have always enjoyed the film Humanoids from the Deep, but rarely do I. (laughs) I know, right? But rarely do I ever hear it mentioned in horror circles as a fun monster movie, perhaps the podcast host could create a top 10 list of overlooked films or hidden gems of movies across all genres. Just the thought I definitely could create a top 10 list and would have fun doing. So keep up the good work and I look forward to the next show. And that's from nice. Bill East of Toronto. What do you say about that Wolfman?
3: Love it, Bill. That's something we've actually discussed is doing a show like that. Maybe we've talked about it as doing it as a movie podcast network bonus you know, content, but maybe that could be something we did in the horror community as well. Specifically, mm-hmm. um, "Humanoids from the Deep" specifically is on a list of films that I wanted to cover on a Leviathan. It came from the deep <laughs> yes. uh, themed episode. So that, if we ever get around to doing that themed episode, that "Humanoids from the Deep" is on. Is on my list, um, Bill. What I would say is, as much as we appreciate your emails, um, you know. Jason is so busy with all the production work on the show. We don't always have time to read them on the show because we go four hours like we are doing again this week. It seems like we're headed that direction. (laughs) Um, And I, and I believe if you're the same bill that you do actually comment at the website quite a bit in the comments as well. But, but maybe if some of these aren't just specifically privately for Jason, posting those on the website, that might be a great place to spark some of this conversation. And a lot of our active commenters and listeners, they go on these tangents together and create their own lists and have all these side conversations. And it's a really great community. And I just encourage Bill and and all of our listeners, if you feel like Tom, like you don't have any horror friends and you want to make some, we've got a really cool community to hang out on Twitter and at HorrorMoviePodcast.com and it's a respectful, smart group just talking about horror movies.
1: Yes, and, and one last PS on that, Bill. Um, I really look forward, like, when I get your emails and I'm at work, so rather than working, I'll take, like, a, a break and read your email. <laughs> and that's super entertaining for me, so thank you very much. Um, don't I tell just, my the, employer the I said that. The
3: downside is we don't all get to... Dave and I and the listeners don't all benefit from well, that. Well, what if he own.
1: copies and paste? I mean, he copies it from the email. <laughs> he sends the email version, but also pastes it on the website, and then everybody's happy.
3: But if you make Jay work for it a little bit and go to the website, then maybe Jay will start commenting on the comments <laughs> as well.
1: Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> if only i had more time but i i'd love to around, around we go yeah. uh, i know so here we go oh no, yeah keep
3: sending jay his emails he needs something to distract him so he's not worried about pokemon all day at work
1: <laughs> that's right and uh <laughs> and
3: then uh share some of your ideas with the community as well
1: yeah that's right okay well here's um as you said we are probably like three and a half hours ish so uh, let's just do Stu one more for tonight and uh this one comes from gabby And it's regarding Train to Busan remake America style. It reads, hi Jay, I hope you're doing great. I know that Josh and Dr. Shock, I think it was both of them, really liked Train to Busan. I did too. It was in my top 10 list as well. But anyway, (laughs) she says, I wanted to see if you all knew that they were working on making an American remake. And no, I don't think it will be World War C2. Have a good night. (laughs) So what say you, Wolfman?
3: I don't know anything about that. What I do know is they're talking about remaking The Wailing, which is another Korean film that we all loved from last year. And Ridley Scott's company is in talks in remaking the film. And there were some reports that said Ridley Scott himself was going to direct the remake. I don't know if that's true. I was very upset when I saw this news because I just think the film, what makes the movie so special is the cultural context and the location. And of course there are other awesome things about it, yes. but to take those out of it, really strip it of what's so special about the film. And I think, you know, we've said that other, about other movies, like let the right one in, but still, you know, let me in is still a decent film. It's a good horror movie. Um, I don't think the culture plays as big a role in a movie as of, uh, like let the right one in, as it does in the whaling. I think this yeah. really is so specifically. Even Train to Busan, uh, which is another Korean movie, does not depend on its Koreanness, <laughs> you know, for the film to work. I really do believe that's the case with the whaling. So right. I know that the whaling producers are conscious of this and they are approaching it carefully. It sounds like it is going to happen but that they want to make sure that that if it is done, that it's done right and that it transfers over well. So one example was insomnia. The original insomnia is set in Scandinavia and what it does is so specific to Scandinavia. And so to move it and do an American remake was seemed to everyone involved, like such a terrible idea because it just didn't make sense. I think what Christopher Nolan did when he remade it with Robin Williams and Al Pacino by putting it in Alaska was perfect because he was able to retain a lot of what made that work in Scandinavia, but then also add something rich and unique to Alaska to that film as well. Um, And that's the kind of remake that if we have to see the Wayland remade, which I hope we don't, that I hope that they'll be able to do that where they'll be able to retain um, a lot of what's special by finding a good uh, kind of mirror for that in the United States and not just like set it in LA and then also find something unique about the location they set it in in the United States that can really add something to it which will be missing when they strip it of its uh Korean identity
1: well like uh, okay so I haven't seen the whaling but what you're saying to me is really fascinating and yeah it does kind of bother me when they feel like they have to adapt everything that's a successful foreign film into American film but um what if, for example, Josh, and this is we- weird, maybe, but like I-, I know that, like in Louisiana, like down where uh, Katrina hit and everything, I-, I know that that culture. I mean, just because of all they've been through, or or or, or also just because, like, um, the people in Detroit, just because, yeah. like, of the things that they've gone through, I wonder if they could, if you think they could adapt something like the whaling a really specific type of culture maybe maybe a native american culture uh, some yeah some, I don't, I don't well, that's
3: know. what i'm saying it would have to be you can't just strip it of the korean culture and then set it in anywhere any town usa
4: mm. you
3: have to have what well, that's what i was kind of trying to okay. articulate and then maybe didn't do it well because you have to find something to replace it with like they did with insomnia they replaced some things that we that were lost from Scandinavia with things that were specific to Alaska. I think you need to do the same thing here. If you strip it of Korea, you have to give it, yeah, like a Native American, potentially, that would work. Um, potentially, like a voodoo kind of thing would work. That's fine. It would be very different, but I think it needs to be if it's going to be adapted. I also am not a fan of this. I think people should just grow up and read subtitles. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like if we take Let Me In as an example i think let me in is legitimately a good film i don't think it's nearly the film "Let the right one in is correct but it has led to so many more people watching let the right one in that would never ever would have seen it True. because they watched let me in they're like that was awesome oh this is based on another movie i'm going to search that out take the ring and ringu for example mm-hmm. i think ringu is still the superior film but the ring is incredible Mm. (laughs) i mean it is a really good movie and some people think it's better than ringu in fact i would say a lot of people think it's better than ringu and that's a great remake that led many many people to searching out ringu that otherwise wouldn't have Um, i would say the same thing about wreck and quarantine sometimes they can be done really well sometimes the american remakes can surpass or at least match the original enough that it it sparks interest and so i would hope that ridley scott is the kind of person i mean that's great news i'm glad that it's at least someone of his caliber that's talking about buying the whaling and, and remaking it and it's not just someone who wants to do a cheap knockoff version so i'm glad it's not platinum dunes doing the whaling
1: and there's something weird about like um let the right one in and train to busan to speak to gabby's comment there like There's something about, and I know this isn't necessarily true, especially in the world of the internet, but it feels like you've almost found this, this far flung corner of the world, this gem that was hiding somewhere in like, you know, under this shelf in this library in Tibet. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, like, let the right one in seems so, so obscure and so otherworldly and unknown and same with train to Busan. Like it's just, it it really seemed like this special little thing that when you're watching it, it's like, wow, we, we in America, like not many people know about this or have this. And, And I know everybody raves about it, but I'm just saying it feels special, more special. Yeah, I agree. I agree.
3: So yeah. Will there be a remake? I don't know. Probably but I have not yet heard about one. Um, I know that, uh, let's see a French studio. Gaumont, has laid claim to the English language remake rights for train to Busan, beating out several Hollywood studios with a bid that was estimated in the seven figure ring. So <laughs> nice. if someone's paid that much for it, it's going to happen.
1: <laughs> oh yeah.
3: But I don't, I don't have any information about when or what or who or
1: we hope it happens if it does happen we hope it happens well (laughs) right (laughs) absolutely yeah
3: so gabby my advice and hope is this that when this happens if this happens what we do as people who love the original is every time someone tells us how much they love this remake we say it was great, right? Have you seen the original? You should check it out. It's just as good or better, and that's how I heard heard about Ringu. I heard people talking about Ringu, and mm-hmm. that's how I searched it out. Yes, and I told many, many, many people about Let the Right One In when Let Me In came out. So, let's do that. That will be our approach. Mm-hmm. There's nothing we're gonna we can do about it. They're gonna do it whether we want them to or not.
1: That's true. <sighs> All right, we're just about to the end of the show, but um, as we usually do, we record out of sequence, and I know that's kind of weird, but we are welcoming back Doctor Shock this evening, so welcome, <laughs> thank Dave. You. Yes,
2: thank you. We've missed Good you. To be back. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it's. I know. It's been a while.
1: Yeah. You've been gone like the past hour. It's been weird. But anyway, so very
2: long bathroom break there. (laughs) Yes. Yes, it was. Hey, I've I've been drinking. I've been drinking some beer. What can I say?
1: And he went down to the Circle K. To the Wawa. Yeah. yeah,
2: To the Wawa. That's That's, The Wawa is what it is around
1: here. Yeah. (laughs) That's true. That that is what it is. Okay. So anyway, but before we wrap up, I think uh, Josh has got a a couple little uh, micro mini reviews to tell us about, right?
3: Yeah, I didn't necessarily want to cover either of these in depth, but um, they might come up uh, again at some time if somebody really wants to dig into a weird theme. Um, I'm going to talk about I Was a Teenage Were Skunk, uh, which is one that we brought up in our uh, 2017 preview as we were discussing the film. And Jay was guessing whether or not it was even a real movie, I noticed (laughs) – it's actually streaming right now with a subscription on Amazon prime. So <laughs> as soon as we wrapped recording for the last episode of horror movie podcast, I just went ahead and popped on. I was a teenage were skunk <laughs> and um, the Ugh. poster looks awesome. So I was actually quite excited because as you guys know, I'm a big werewolf guy and I actually love the teenage werewolf movie with Michael Landon. And so I was pretty kind of excited to see this and uh, man, this
2: was not great. I think you're if, kidding. No, <laughs> I'm not. Kidding. You can you knock me over with a feather. I know, right? <laughs> I mean,
3: look, it's intentionally bad, so that's what I'll say for it. I think if you like stuff that's intentionally bad, this may well work for you. You know, I, the folks that are into trauma and whatnot. I think this specifically feels like a bit of a John Waters thing at first, and I think that's when it was actually succeeding. Um, for me when I was watching I was like "Ooh, this is like a lower budget John Waters movie like I'm actually kind of into this and as it goes it kind of I think the problem is it's not consistent with its tone as it goes on it kind of gets into kind of more of a lost skeleton of cadaver psycho beach party thing where they're um, it's just not the same style of comedy I guess as John Waters Mm. who is taking his weirdness very seriously And then by the end, it's very kind of modern hipster, comedy, bang, bang, uh, Garfunkel and Oates, wink and nod to the camera comedy. And I think that was a big mistake for me because it takes you out of it. And sure, it's still working in terms of getting laughs, but I think it compromises what could have been a really weird and unique tone that the movie uh, creates. So anyway... Um, if you like really bad, cheesy, schlocky, low-budget, making-fun-of-itself, comedy, horror, then maybe check out I Was a Teenage Werewolf." skunk, gets free on Amazon. So,
2: i tell you what, you're, you're, uh, you're using John Waters and Troma. Definitely has me interested <laughs> now.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not as over-the-top as Troma. And it's not as high quality, I would say, in quotes, as John Waters. Um, wow. I mean, I love John Waters,
2: but you I do know, too. I do he, too.
3: I think he has a craft to his films that this film does not. Yeah, account. I
2: do. I'm thinking of the early ones, though, when you're yes. saying not as high quality, like <laughs> Flamingo. Yeah, Pink Flamingos. Yeah, Pink I would.
4: <laughs>
3: I would say, I you, you know, that. like if you take like Cry and mix that with okay like a, a lost skeleton of cadaver people doing, I was a teenage werewolf and then throwing a skunk. That's what you've got here.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> wow.
3: Tonally. It's very similar to like psycho beach party. I think if, if I, but again, okay. it just does not maintain that tone throughout, which I think is a mistake. Okay. But anyway, I, I it's, it's clear to me that the people who made these films are fans of schlock cinema and probably know much better references than the films I'm coming up with is someone who enjoys schlock, but is not like an aficionado. So I think uh, people who love schlock will probably get the deeper references that I'm not picking up on here. So that's an avoid.
1: <laughs> what, what was your number rating on it? You say avoid it, but what?
3: It's a one and a strong avoid. I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> honestly, yeah, I know. No, this is a hard one to rate. <laughs> Am I gonna say it's a one? I don't know. I really liked parts of it. I can't rate this movie. I'm sorry. I, this just doesn't like register on my scale. To be
2: you know, honest. it's like it's it's almost like nowadays. And I have the same thing when like how do you how do you rate Plan Nine from Outer Space? Like a movie like that. If you take it the way Ed Wood intended, it's got to be like a one or two. But if you it's, take it to what it's become, like what what culture right. has turned it into, yeah, uh, as like this sort of fun bad movie. Uh, almost like a comedy well it's it's a lot higher than that
3: well i th- feel like i'm watching a 70s sex comedy with no sex and wear skunks instead but shot on dv
2: cam like shot on mm. like hd cameras
1: interesting <laughs> interesting
2: <Yeah. laughs> i don't know it, it's you've it's you've pe you've piqued my interest
3: i've piqued something
1: yeah that's right <laughs> okay so that's i yeah, was man. a teenage wear skunk all right. Yeah. And what we else spent you spent
3: altogether too much time talking about. It. I was a Tina Dorskog and I'm going to be much shorter with this one. I have never seen a Tyler Perry movie before. The only thing <laughs> I had seen him in previously was gone girl. And I thought he was actually really good. I like him as an actor. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm a Tyler Perry fan and it was not still enough for me to rent any of his movies, but I was at the red box as I'm want to do when I'm walking out of the grocery store. I just, I pop in there and I see what the horror selections are, and I saw uh, Tyler Perry's Boo, a Medea Halloween, <laughs> and I thought, I like the I like the poster art actually. Maybe I'll see my first Medea movie this afternoon while mm. I'm editing. So oh boy. I grabbed that and I put it in, and it's awful. I mean, just terrible, just so bad. <laughs> um, I think
1: mm. it's
3: kind of a similar setup to like that Neighbors with Seth Rogen and. And uh,
1: Zach Efron,
3: Zach Efron. Zac Efron, yeah, mm-hmm. high school musical boy. Um, but, you know, <laughs> here Medea has a granddaughter who goes to a Halloween party at a frat and she doesn't want the girl to go to it. So basically the the content of the film, like the the complexity of the plot, the themes we're dealing with here are appropriate for like a four to six year old. But right. the film is Filled with like drug and sex references that I wouldn't want to show like like even though a teenager would know about all this stuff I wouldn't want to like sit down and watch it in mixed company with like my teenager if I had a teenager you know what I mean like right so uh. it's it's uh it's not something my kids could watch but they're the only ones who would be interested in the story that's taking
2: place you know what I mean <laughs> right right I, I know I know exactly what you mean one of those movies where you, they just don't know what the audience is or you can't tell what the audience is
3: watching I have yes. no idea what yeah. the audience Tyler Perry clearly knows what his audience is. I just don't, I I do kind of want to meet the people and find out like, who are you guys? Like, what's who's watching these? It doesn't even hold up to like the worst of Halloween TV special kind of stuff. You know, like I watch Charlie Brown, you know, the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, and all those every Halloween. Like, this would not be one to add to your queue.
1: Well, I will say one thing for Boo, a Medea Halloween. I love mm. its tagline, which is "Trick or Treat, Fools." <laughs> yeah, That's hilarious.
3: I like everything about the poster. When I saw the poster, I was like, "This looks kind of cool." I like that it's called Boo. I like the I like the look of it. Mm. Uh, it's,
1: uh, hilarious. Yeah. Okay, what do you rate that one?
3: Ugh. Like, if I'm re- re-rating this on a scale of like Goosebumps episode from the '90s to <laughs> ugh, I don't even know. Uh, <laughs> I, I can't rate these I, I, you know I have a new rule if I'm doing a micro review I don't
1: rate them okay but clear, <laughs> clearly go. sounds like an avoid though from what you've said
3: definitely a, an avoid yes
1: <laughs> alright there you have it well I hope everybody feels like they got their money's worth there that is <laughs> the wrap up for this week's episode of Horror Movie Podcast um, you can join us again in two weeks which is approaching the Oscars, the Academy Awards, for some very interesting horror movie podcast content. We're not even gonna we're not even gonna tease really about it, right, guys? We're not even gonna give them a hint what it is. But if 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 you love horror movies, if you love horror cinema, if this is your thing, and you're our people, meaning, you know, people like us, horror fans, then you must Listen to the next episode coming up. Am I right, guys? Yeah, I would say so.
3: Along with our little surprise, we want to kind of do a listener Oscar for like the audience award for best horror movie since the Oscars don't have that category. And so we thought we would put up a listener poll. Jeff Hammer, who's a listener to the show, friend of the show, was kind enough to tabulate uh, the audience's top 10 lists that Jay had already done with the hosts top 10 lists and come up with a combined top 10 lists So you know, Mm -hmm. adding our lists to the listeners lists. And so what I'd like to do is, you know, that was a small percentage of our listenership. So what I'd like to do is put up a poll on the website that has all of those top 10 films from the combined four lists. Let people vote for what they think the best picture is in terms of horror picture this year. Mm-hmm. And that will kind of be an audience award that we can give on our next episode.
1: I'm pretty sure, though, I'm suspecting it will match the horror movie because it was such a landslide. I bet it will match yeah. their number one pick. But but yes, I'm I, I bet it will. But just, you know, if for people who were reading between the lines there, <laughs> what Josh just said may give you some hint. On where we're going on this next episode. So you must tune in if you love horror movies, right, Dr. Shock? Absolutely. Okay. All right. Well, there you have it. That's going to be in two weeks. Make sure you join us for Horror Movie Podcast Episode 111. All right, Dave, where can listeners catch up with you and find more of your work on the internet?
2: Uh, Well, same as always, DVDinfatuation.com, still going over there. Um, At DVDinfatuation on Twitter. uh, the Facebook page just do a search on it uh, and find me over at the Land of the Creeps podcast where we're uh, trying something a little new where we're going to be taking, looking at the 1970s year by year we're starting with 1970 feature review a couple movies and then just sort of mention the other movies that uh, that came out that year uh, just mixing it up a little bit we had been going back in time to the 20s and 30s um, and then we're just going to sort of mix it up and go into the 70s now, but we're doing it sort of year by year at this point. So looking forward to that. Um, and of course now with the uh, Universal Monster cast with, uh, with uh, uh, Wolfman Josh. And um, we actually have a lot of guests on there and it's, it's it's really interesting just sort of gearing up for the for the mummy um, uh, as it uh, you know getting ready for that this uh, I guess May that comes out so um, yeah a few places you can uh, a few things to check out there
1: Mm -hmm. yes absolutely make sure you check those out and what about you Wolfman Josh what do you have for people to check out
3: well I would just say again check out Universal Monsters Cast I would second what Dave said I think we've got some fun shows with us talking about the ins and outs of the new emerging cinematic universe that Universal is putting together for their monsters Episode two has some really fun interviews with our panel. Jody horror guy, dark Mark and Anne dread came on the show to field our questions about what the fans want from the universal monsters. And then the third episode has some industry professionals giving their point of view about what we can expect to see from the new movie. So that's exciting. You can also check out my other podcast. We cover streaming content at moviestreamcast.com and you can find me personally on many forms of social media at Icarus Arts Twitter Instagram Facebook etc
1: mm-hmm. yes you can and I encourage people once again to check out our friend Kagan Breitenbach check out all of his uh, wonderful music at his website which we'll have linked in the show notes there as well as Fred Ingram who is the uh, writer of the horror movie podcast theme song a song that's actually titled wilderness but don't tell and um and then <laughs> I, want, I want I would love it if people would check out movie podcast weekly because the shenanigans that are going on over there uh, for all of you Andy fans um, he has actually kind of been returning weirdly it's it's weird he had gone for a while but he's been back lately and episode 224 is is a must listen I think because it's um, we were crying laughing basically and, and maybe no one else will think it's funny but if you like movies check out Movie Podcast Weekly and I'd just like to give one more plug tonight for a friend of mine it's One Sick Puppy his show The Dead as Hell Horror Podcast has returned He had a little hiatus there for a while and now he's back in action. In fact, they're back um, releasing classic episodes one week and then new episodes the opposite week. So he's got content coming out each and every week for you. It's on iTunes at deadashell.com. You can also find it at his website at deadashell.com. He's primarily trying to keep the focus on 20th century horror And he's actually looking for guests right now. So if you are a podcaster or you love to share your thoughts about horror movies, reach out to One Sick Puppy to be a guest on his show. He's particularly looking for someone to help him review a Rocky Horror show. So you can get in touch with him through Twitter at Dead HP. And once again, that's the Dead As Hell Horror Podcast with One Sick Puppy. And you can find it at DeadAsHell.com. We love your comments, so make sure you get involved in the Horror Movie Podcast community. Keep them coming. You can leave a comment in the show notes for episode 110 here. You can also um, send us an email at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com and leave us a voicemail at 801-382-8789. You can find all of our past episodes at our website, as well as our back archives of the weekly Horror Movie Podcast and Horror Metropolis. You find those at horrormoviepodcast.com. You can subscribe free in iTunes and leave us a review if you want to support our show. You can also follow us on Twitter at Horror Movie Cast. And I think that's it for episode 110. We thank you for listening and join us again Friday after next for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies.